This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Episode 189 for March MMXX. Back with the Oracle is brought to you by... It's time for some thrilling heroics. A brand new podcast on twotruefreaks.com. Keep flying. A Firefly podcast. We aim to do the impossible. Cover every episode of Joss Whedon's science fiction space opera western. And that makes us mighty. We found as fine a crew as ever populated the podcasting verse. I told them I had a job. They said yes. Didn't much care what it was. So join me, Andrew Leyland. I fought for the independence. May have been the losing side. Not so sure it was the wrong one. I'm joined by a man too pretty to die, Mr. Paul Spataro. And last, but by no means least, a man with a mighty fine hat, Shepherd Bill Robinson. So join us on TutuFreaks.com for Keep Flying, a Firefly podcast. We aim to misbehave. 
Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, I'm always looking for ways to get the word out about my podcast, get more popular. And what better way than to have an influencer, as I call it, a Twitter influencer on my show. So here we go. One of the number one uh, trending tweeters is Professor Carolyn Coca. <laughs> you know, just when I think you're going you're gonna to run out of ways nah. to uh, make fun of me for my zero tweets, <laughs> you always surprise me. So, uh, Salwe, listeners, Semper Ubi Sub Ubi. Oh. That, yeah, that's right. That I was the president of the Latin Club in high school, and that, <laughs> that motto preceded me. Okay. I didn't make, I didn't make that up. No, but it's a good one. I'll let the listeners uh, figure it's, it out. Yeah. Um, no, I... I look that up. It's a point of pride with you right now. I think you admitted it as well that you have zero tweets. And it's a point of pride that I make fun of you for it, frankly. This is going to be a very predictable show, I think. It might be a predictable show. But my favorite moment, honestly, was when you texted me a response to a tweet that I had sent out. So you don't tweet about it. You have to respond to me personally. And then I have to relay the information back to the to the world. So that was probably <laughs> one of my favorite moments that happened. Uh, well, welcome. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we are at an appropriate uh, several hundred miles social distance in this uh yeah. this corvid situation here yeah i i i feel like we should address it because it's here it's now oh uh, what what is life like in your sphere uh now that all this stuff has happened and then i'll i'll talk about what's going on with me as well okay well unless you don't um, want to no no it's fine i work for i teach at a state university of new york campus so uh even before Lots of other things closed. Um, the State University of New York system closed, and we're moving to all online classes after our spring break. Um, I've taught online before. I do it every semester, at least in part. So um, that is okay for me. Uh, it's not okay for an awful lot of faculty and an awful lot of students, and I, I wish everyone the best in this situation. So um, I am teaching from home. I am finishing a book. And uh, my daughter is home because her school is closed, and my partner is home because uh, he was working in New York City schools, which are closed, and we are all in the house together because he was exposed to someone who tested oh, positive no. last week. So there's a lot of uh, togetherness from a distance happening while we're all trying to do the things we have to do, and uh, that is the short version. It's, um, it is a challenge, and I understand this challenge could be for a number of months to come, and I, I hope everybody is okay and staying safe, and wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands, and don't touch your face. Don't touch, yes, don't touch your face or anybody else, I suppose. And it's funny because I'm don't not. Don't touch anything or anybody. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, with or without your consent. consent. Uh, it's funny because I'm not a, like, physical touch is low on the, on the, um, 
on the love languages for me. And so people will hug me in order to like get me upset. And so now that we're not allowed to hug, I have a desire to hug. And so I asked one of my colleagues, what if I just went around hugging people? And she said it was probably not a good idea. <laughs> so I guess I won't do it. Uh, yeah, I had been following your information because wondering what was going on. And then we on Friday closed and we are closed from now until the 13th, 14th of April. But we're going to see, I guess, mm-hmm. see what happens. So online learning will commence beginning on Thursday because we're getting our stuff together. It was some of the seniors were, or I should say some, I think they were a great deal, really broken up about this, that this is their senior year. Is this how it's going to end? Will there be commencement? Are we going to lose prom? All that stuff. Mm-hmm. I personally was upset. You know, there was an annoyance factor when Broadway shut down and went dark because uh, you and I, we had a trip planned and I was super pumped about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're closing down. They're opening up a day after we had our (laughs) tickets. So it was like the fates were really getting in a jab there. And then on Friday, this past Friday, quite suddenly my play canceled. So our, we were just emailed. We actually didn't get good communication there, but we were told this is, this is the last show. And, uh, that was really hard because we lost 12 shows. We had 12 yet to go and you kind of work your way up. You're like, we've been with these people for two months Uh and it'd be three at the end. And you're thinking, I'll, I'll be able to emotionally prepare myself for the end, but to have it cut off like that, was really hard. I'm still working through that. And there were real tears shed on stage but it was probably our best performance yet so it's um yeah so it's more i think anger and annoyance at this particular disease than uh fear at this point in time uh i i'm trying to work through you know what is it exactly how does it compare to the flu because so many people have died from the flu this year nineteen thousand. um but this is spreading crazily and then it's interesting to take a look at, at the world around you and people might not change what they're doing. Uh, but then when the NBA shuts down, they're like, oh, wait, maybe this is something we should pay attention to. Uh, so that's that's been really yes, interesting. I read an, I read an article like that where someone was like, oh, no, Tom Hanks has it now. And yeah. the basketball is worried. So now we should pay attention. <laughs> Yeah, see? Yeah. Um, yep, but yep. look, if, if that means people, I, I think that um, even if you think this is um, overdoing it or an overreaction, I think it's best we all overreact if mm-hmm. it means that we save each other. I, I, I think overreacting is a good way to go, but I fear that this is not overreacting and that we really have no idea um, the scale of what we're dealing with quite yet because there haven't really been enough tests. Mm -hmm. So um, we just got to keep informed and stay in and wash your hands. Did I also mention wash your hands? (laughs) And don't touch your face or any other person. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best things that was said by a couple people is just that, you know, you might be okay but mm-hmm. you're staying inside in order to protect other people who might have weaker immune right. systems or not be okay. So, And I just also want to implore people to think about um, maybe helping, I don't know, donating somehow. I'm not really sure what causes are out there, but my thinking was initially, like right off the bat when schools were closing down, what about those kids that go to school and they have free and reduced lunches? How are they going to eat now? Or mm-hmm. the kids who school is their safe space and now they're at home and that's not their safe space. So things, I don't know what's out there 
other potentially to do, but just think about those people as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that those things are different district by district. Um, Big districts like LA and New York are definitely setting up to do food delivery um, for those kids. And uh, I, I guess a couple of city schools may be set aside as those kinds of safe spaces and also for um, students with special needs. But yeah, in the meantime, I would say if you have it, um, I know they're doing this in my community, we can donate food to our K-12 schools and they will distribute it. And uh, there are probably food pantries around. So consider those as well. A lot of people out there are salaried workers and their jobs are on the line and um, people are going to be hurting. And if you can spare anything, it's a good time to do it. Absolutely. Well, I think, I mean, we could go on and on and talk about Corvia for a long time, but but we are here. and, And even though there are forms of fiction and escapism out there that is now becoming frighteningly realistic and relevant <laughs> here at Backworld the Oracle. We're going to talk about things that are still escapism and to try to to pep up your spirits in this in these trying and, and difficult times. And what better way to do that than to talk about the <laughs> child, the foundling, baby Yoda himself. <laughs> I what we, could be better than a little baby Yoda right now. I'm just saying, yes, yes. That's how we greeted each other. That's how I was planning on waving at you from afar <laughs> in New York City with three fingers. But we did, we talked about, I guess, the whole series and then neglected to talk about episode eight. Um, and I just wondered if you have anything to say about how The Mandalorian wrapped up in its episode eight and the, the season as a whole. Ah, so good. So good. Such a, I mean, what a great finale. And this, I, I did wind up loving the show anyway, but the first couple episodes, it took me a while to get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of slow and violent and almost total lack of women, as we talked about. But I was in by like the third or fourth episode. And the finale, I just thought, brought so many different threads together and it really highlighted everybody's personality. And Taika Watiti droid was fantastic. And <laughs> Baby Yoda saves the day. And Gina Carano gets to do cool stuff. And we see the dude without his helmet. It was just a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. Oh, and Don Carlo Esposito. I almost forgot. Yes. He yeah. took a so break from Dos Poyos Hermanos. I liked how they came together and it was like this really oddball unit, this family. I thought that it it was so well done with all of them coming together with their distinct stories. And then, yeah, this ultimate guy who's not dead, which I'm glad that we've got this really intense uh, villain with the Darksaber. I think that's really interesting. And then, of course, Din gets his his jetpack, which is not called the jetpack, but I've forgotten what it's actually called. Do you remember what it's actually called? Totally don't still call it a jetpack. Okay, but, oh, that's yeah, that <laughs> yeah, but he, he, you know, he finally gets that. So he's like moving up. And, and I think that was a point of pride for him. Yes. Seeing his face, which makes sense because um, that was the the way to go around it because it was a droid that he was showing it to. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite moment, which has now superseded the grabbing the, the knob moment is when will will baby Yoda waddles over to Din and clutches his leg, <laughs> gives him a hug, and then he mm-hmm. gets picked up. He looks up and gets picked up. I'm like, this is I mean, this is a beautiful relationship right there. Whew. Uh, 
Adorable. And 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 similar to that, I would say when Taika Waititi droid comes rolling into town, shooting, 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 shooting. But then he takes his front and turns it to the back. So baby Yoda oh, is not going to yes. get shot. And then he like just swings his head around and keeps shooting. Yeah. He, the perfect caretaker. He is an IG mm-hmm. unit. You know, you don't have to call him the Taika Waititi unit the entire time. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I do. I actually do. Okay. Uh, but, of course, we did lose that one guy whose name I've now forgotten. Ugnot. Wow. Oh, the um, uh, I have in spoken. the desert? Yes, we did lose him, Yeah. unfortunately. But otherwise, yeah, yeah so it'll. I'm looking forward, and I'm also sad because I feel like we'll be building this beautiful relationship between father and son. And then he might either mm-hmm. say goodbye to him, you know, after a couple seasons, or like that fan f- image I showed you, maybe little baby Yoda becomes a foundling. <laughs> An actual baby, baby Yoda with armor is, is a pretty funny sight, I have yep. to say. Boba Fett but um, I would say, what, what if he what if he could just kind of find Ahsoka and Sabine and they could help Whoa. train him or something? <sighs> They're out there looking for Ezra. That is true. Yep, and we did see a picture of, or was it Rosario Dawson expressed interest in being Ahsoka or something? I sent something to you about Rosario Dawson yeah. being Ahsoka, but yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to finally oh, pull them in. Yeah, maybe more women next season, and we'll. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, upcoming Clone Clone Wars episodes. Might maybe I think four. we'll just wait. That, for that would the... also be good. <laughs> we'll just wait for the finale, and then Ahsoka will pop up, and that'll be the end of the show. Ouch. Okay. We'll see. It's been four episodes and she's not been seen yet, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, we will move on from Star Wars. I actually struck Clone Wars from the uh, the, the topics that we would talk about since I felt like there was not much to say or perhaps not much positive, but maybe, maybe Ahsoka will come on. I do want to talk about the original graphic novels that have come out recently involving Barbara Gordon as well as just the Batgirl universe. And so uh, mm-hmm. did you have time to read the Oracle Code? Sure did. Okay. So we'll talk about Shadow of the Batgirl first um, because the Oracle Code, I think we might we might have more to say about that. But Shadow of the Batgirl came out in, what was it, January, I think? Mm, it was early uh, 2020. Right. Yeah, something like that. And it is Cassandra Kane's story. But what was great about it is that we've got Barbara Gordon in there as well. And it is the Barbara Gordon wheelchair version. Um, so the the potentially pre-Oracle Barbara Gordon. What did you think about this graphic novel and also Barbara Gordon's representation in it? I really liked it. I thought it was a good representation of Babs and a good representation of Cass. And I liked, I I was so glad that they had um, Barbara in the mentor role, albeit different from the way it was in the comics. And I liked the new characters as well. Uh, Jackie, the older woman, and the friend slash boyfriend, Eric. I also really, I liked the art. Uh, I thought the art and the colors um, suited the story. And, uh, you know, it kind of really had me on the first page where the author wrote an intro of how seeing cast meant so much to her, seeing an Asian female superhero. So um, that shows, I think it shows in the care that she took with the characters. 
I also enjoyed it. Did you it. like it? Oh, yes, I did enjoy it. I think there are a couple nitpicky things that I have against it, mainly in Cassandra's language acquisition and how that was coming yeah, about. Yeah. I felt like it did. And it's interesting because Donovan and I just did that arc where I said, oh, it doesn't really make sense that you know what celluloid is, but okay. Um, and then we've got <laughs> her and, and how she's able to uh, gather language and, and begin to read. And I thought, oh, uh, not not as much, I think. And then the fact that Barbara Gordon, her wheelchair has handles was, a, I mean, it's a, it's, when you say that, it sounds like such a dumb statement, like, oh, I can't believe she had handles. But that was such a huge story point from uh, Suicide Squad on, really, and especially in totally. Dixon's run, that Barbara Gordon is not a passive person. She's, you know, an active person. And also she... Um, she had uh, a motor too as well on the wheelchair. So I just felt like the wheelchair setup was not something that reflected Barbara Gordon's character as I would know it. And it's a nitpick, but I feel like it's something that Barbara Gordon fans and Oracle fans would understand. Uh, but I, I think it's presented so well and she acts, I, I'm glad that she was this character that had similar mothering qualities and mentoring qualities that she's had in the comics. And it gave me hope that, you know, the code, Oracle code would continue on this potential story because you see the seeds being sown for Barbara becoming this Oracle character. But unfortunately we didn't get that. But for Cassandra Kane's story, I thought that it was uh, pretty good. And, and really it only matters that Donovan loved it because it, you know it's he's the target audience so he loved it and i'm i'm very happy that he got to have that oh good i'm glad to hear that that he but i i agree with you on those other things the language acquisition seemed not only quick but also like how exactly are you learning to speak from reading and occasionally hearing other people mm -hmm. um but okay uh the handles yeah for sure and it's it's not that isn't a small thing it that point is made for like 30 years of comics. No, tw yeah. sorry, 20 years of comics, right? So uh, Barbara doesn't have handles because she doesn't want or need to be pushed. There is, um, man, uh, there is, uh, I want to say it's in between Chuck Dixon and Gail Simone, but I'm not sure if that's right. There's this arc of like three issues where you see Barbara um, in kind of a motorized wheelchair that's from the Wayne Foundation or something like that. And uh, other than that, yeah, it, that you just don't see that. So it's not totally unprecedented, but I agree with you. Um, they got so many things right. That stuck out to me a little. I'm not sure how many people would notice that besides you and me. Well, yeah. The handles that it. Yeah, I hopefully well and this gets into the you know the oracle code i think that the intended audience for these books aren't necessarily us and so i would agree with you that someone would just see it in the art and they wouldn't that wouldn't bite bat an eye but i think any barbara gordon fan potentially would would understand why that would cause problems you're right i didn't mean to make us sound like an exclusive extra knowledgeable <laughs> club or anything like that. Oh, and I and I also want to say I was really glad it was set in a library. Yes, though I was so confused why no one discovered there's a child living up there. Do they not clean and check and stuff after it closes? Is she not the most stealthy person in the Bat Universe? Come okay, I don't. She yeah, but she's got <laughs> pictures posted up there. Come on, someone I, would know something. <laughs> Does she have deodorant and cleaning supplies? I don't know. I don't. Yeah, we didn't get to see her use the restroom. I don't know. I just don't know. 
Uh, <laughs> well, then we come to March, and on March 10th, the Oracle Code was released. So this was following Barbara Gordon and her journey towards becoming Oracle, I guess I'll say. Uh, but she's a bit of a tween. So um, I will leave you <laughs> to talk about it. And then I'll what? say my... What? <laughs> Do you want me to start off? <laughs> well, I know you have very gathered and organized thoughts about it because I read your review on the <laughs> Batman Universe website. Yeah, which was so you- very well organized into here's how you might feel if you're a new reader and here's how you might feel if you are a longtime Barbara Gordon fan. Yeah. So you, you want me to go first is what you're saying. Well, I – yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure, sure. So I I think my expectations because I was I always like to ask you about this. My expectations I think were either – sort of uh, a stagnant level or maybe low. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. We only had a six-page preview or something after the Cassandra Kane book, and I thought, okay, so this is a really young Barbara. But it's about Oracle, so I was hoping that this would be, you know, a great story. It's it's a huge name to try to write about. So I was – there was a lot riding on this. I was – I'm of two minds. I personally, as a Barbara Gordon historian, as as I'll call myself, I was disappointed. But I feel like new readers enjoyed it or will enjoy it. I mean, I I went on Goodreads and I had no idea they went out. They put out so many. What are those called? Uh, Pre-publisher copies or whatever, review copies, because everyone was giving them fives. And I thought, gosh, what book did I read? Because I'm I don't think I'm going to give this a five. As a new reader. I think that it does a successful job of writing about a demographic that has way less screen time and page time and empathy than any other demographic potentially. Um, and that is the, the disabled or differently abled, however you want to talk about that. And I think it does a wonderful job. It, it looks at someone who's been injured and shows her having an adverse reaction to this, which with anyone who has any sort of trauma, we can't judge how that person reacts. And so I think she reacts as appropriate to a 13-year-old. And then it's the pages are just filled with different uh, characters and their, their differently abled selves. And I think that the art does a wonderful job about that, that never puts – they're in the background maybe and they might be – washed out and then in the foreground you'll have the colors of the people that are important but it's just filled everywhere and so i think it does a good job of giving a voice to the differently abled community my issue with and this is for the new reader situation is that i could have called this character kimberly rockmore which is what i said in my review (laughs) and it would have been fine there's nothing that's distinctly barbara gordon about this particular character even with her father and so so my hesitancy with this is, um, you know, if you give this to somebody, what are they going to get out of it? And who are they going to say Barbara Gordon is from this? And so that's my greatest concern. As a historian, um, there's so much that I was disappointed in. I was disappointed with how she acts just because I felt like she was acting like a brat. But that's me looking at it from like how I would expect Barbara Gordon to act. Um, the trauma itself was just bizarre. They didn't show it. And I could 
kind of understand not showing it? Do you really need to? Maybe not, but also it could be everything and maybe you want to see it. But she was endangering herself and somebody else. Um, she's selfish, more selfish than I would want my Barbara Gordon to be. The father and daughter relationship is not the best. And that's one of my favorite, if not my favorite relationships in comics. Uh, he's just not as... He's supportive, but then he makes a couple slips that you wonder, like, yikes, would Jim Gordon actually say this? And I felt like it was symptomatic of modern comics and those issues with their relationship bleeding into it. There are no fun Easter eggs, so everyone's new in this cast, which is fine. But I was waiting for, you know, someone to show up that I knew. And with the Oracle handle, it's... It's not really anything. I mean, it's a handle, a computer handle ID that she gets at the end. She's a hacker in training. So it's just nothing of this Barbara Gordon of someone who helps, who uh, is desirous of not necessarily being a savior of her city, but just being a, a helper and, and doing everything she can in her capacity. It was just like she hacks for fun and she loves her father. So she goes and, and does something. Then she starts to help people. And now she's a hacker and her code name is Oracle. So there was just not much, unfortunately, there for, for Barbara Gordon fans. But, you know, if the intent is to bring new audiences in and look at, again, a demographic that we've not seen, because with these ink we've and zoom we've seen domestic violence we've seen sort of stress at school with casts we've had uh learning and or reading and and yeah learning and reading disability now we have physical so we're looking at stuff that is different that we don't normally but on the Barbara Gordon side, I felt like it was not successful. Uh, if you want my full thoughts, yeah, you can go on the BatmanUniverse.net and, and read all about that. But that's basically what I had to say in a nutshell. So now that you've had time to prep, what would you uh, what would you say about this, or what do you think about it? I I agree with everything you said, and I I guess the intent was to be parallel to Shadow of the Batgirl. Because you sort of have, here's Cassandra, who granted was raised to be a villain, a villain, but here's Cassandra, who is living with disabilities and who chooses to be a hero and who works hard to be a hero. She has to learn to trust herself. She has to learn to trust other people. She's haunted by memories of her past. And she has to move forward. And she's going to try to be the best hero she can be to do that. So I feel like that's what the through line is supposed to be in the Oracle mm. Code, but I did not have at all the same reaction to it that I did to the cast book. I mean, the, the Shadow of the Batgirl book with Cass, you know, I had tears in my eyes. I was just flipping pages like I couldn't wait to see what happened next. Um, I felt like it really captured the core of her character. And here, I agree with you that this may be a Barbara Gordon, but it's certainly not my Barbara Gordon. <laughs> And it's certainly not Barbara Gordon from 1967 to 2011, which is my Barbara Gordon. Um, so it was I found it difficult to figure out what her personality was. I mean, she's stubborn, she's afraid, and they kind of keep it keeps telling us that she solves puzzles. It keeps telling us that she's this great hacker, but we see her hack once and she gets caught. <laughs> so I'm thinking maybe she's not that good at it. I'm sorry. But um, 
they keep repeating the, the theme of she likes to solve puzzles. Okay, I liked that puzzle graphic stuff. And, and she does indeed solve a pretty big puzzle and help people in the mm-hmm. end. But I felt like I wasn't getting her motivation for it, really. Like this, this creepy girl comes into her room a couple times and says weird cryptic stuff and tells her spooky stories. And she just suddenly says, well, she would never leave without saying goodbye. She's my friend. I'm like, what are you talking about? She talked at you twice and you thought she was weird. Um, so I just, it, I felt like it just didn't, hang together for me. I think when you, the way that you summarized it, I think sounds like a better story than the way I received it when I read it, if that (laughs) makes sense. Um, I really, I appreciated the diversity in the students in terms of race and ethnicity and the different levels of ability they had with walking or with wheelchairs, um, that they showed a little bit of, um, the kinds of skills one has to learn and how one has to keep upper body strength in those situations. But the uh, Barbara herself, I didn't really feel like I knew her or was even necessarily rooting for her. Mm. The Barbara Jim relationship, I agree with you, is one of the best relationships in the DC universe uh, or should be. <laughs> um, I, having said all that, which, you know, if it, Dear listeners, if you read it yourself, you may think what I've said is totally unfair. But I, I again, want to give praise for the diversity, for the depictions of disability, for different people reacting to having disabilities, living with them in different ways. Um, You know, at the end, when uh, they confront the villains and the villains are basically trying to, quote unquote, cure disability. um, And a couple of the kids are like, what do you mean? we're not broken. We're whole. We're okay. You know, it's, it's you that's wrong, not us. That is a great message and a really important message. And so I really, I really did like that. I liked the idea that it's okay to not be fearless. You can be afraid and and move forward anyway. Um, and I thought the art style was cool where you you sort of have this, um, focus on a, a smaller number of colors on whoever the character is in a panel and then stuff is kind of grayscaled in the back. I'm sure there are better words to describe it than what I'm saying. Um, and the yellow and purple accents that went along with that, especially where she was, I appreciated also. It did seem toward the end that one of the villains was wearing the same shade of yellow, which I found a little confusing. But um, yeah, so it's it's I think it can be a good book for a particular audience. It was just not for me because it was not the Babs and Jim I was looking for mm-hmm. or even necessarily <laughs> a version not the of Babs. You're looking for. No, they were not the droids I was looking for. And I think that having <laughs> read Shadow of the Batgirl really recently did not help me with this with this book. So, so, you know, I feel bad saying it. I, I can see that the effort is here to, to write a good story about overcoming your fear and allowing yourself to trust and love, um, for, for tweens and teens. But I just, I just couldn't get into it. So, yeah, I, I, guess- I hope it does well. I hope it brings more people to the character of Barbara Gordon. Yeah. Well, two issues is that there's no Batgirl, I think, associated with their past, which I brought up in my review. I thought, you know, if people have an issue with Oracle not being a part of her past, then isn't it, shouldn't it not be true that Batgirl is as integral part of her history? But, you know, the author was hemmed in there with giving her a 13-year-old. It's not like she can be an 8-year-old Batgirl swinging around. No, 
but but can I can I just that? Sure. Yeah. No, it's it directly related that what you had said in your review, and I'm glad you did, that there were no Easter eggs to look for. So I'm glad I wasn't like super looking for them. I would say that this one little thing where this person that she's looking for has a Robin doll actually ticked me off quite a lot <laughs> because no, the, the original Barbara Gordon, the original Batgirl was older than Robin. Robin yeah. was a teenager and Batgirl was a grown woman with a PhD and a career yeah. so that she's supposed to be this teenager and Robin is already out there doing stuff just was tough for me to take. Yeah. I mean, even in the animated series, The Batman, which I know not many people like, but I actually really enjoy that. She was first on the scene. It was her first. And then it was and she was not she was 12, 13 in that show, too. So, Uh you know, it's it was possible. The other thing is coming off of your point of, you know, I I had just read quoting you. I had read Shadow of the Batgirl and then I read this. So it it didn't do it any uh, justice or favors. The fact that Yes, because there was this Cassandra Cain continuity and you're like starting something off with Barbara Gordon. So why not continue that continuity and have an Oracle but with an adult Barbara Gordon? That sort of confuses me. And we could say they're all standalone, but that's not true of the Raven and the soon-to-be-released Beast Boy. Those are going to be in the same continuity. So I'm not sure exactly. I'm still trying to figure out this DC Zoom Inc. business and kind of intention behind it. No, I, I mean, I, I'm glad that they're doing it. I'm glad that they're trying to cultivate a new readership, and I'm glad that they're using this format of um, the standalone graphic novel because I think that is a good way to reach into a market that doesn't go into local comic shops. But, it, yeah, I mean, I think it was a benefit to me to prepare that there were a few pages of the Oracle Code in the back of the Shadow of the Batgirl because then I was sort of, ready for what was coming more. If those pages were not there and I just picked up the Oracle code and read it, I would have been very surprised mm-hmm. because it's it, because it does seem like they've kind of set up, here's Barbara Gordon that they've set up in this way in Shadow of the Batgirl. And you feel like you don't necessarily see a straight line from this Oracle code to that. I don't know. They just seem like two very different people. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, I felt bad (laughs) because when I first was writing my review, I was like, this is so harsh. So I needed to like step back and think, okay, if I weren't who I was and I was just picking this up, what would this be? So I think, you know, I think that there are people clearly looking on Goodreads. There are people out there who love this uh, book. And I think that that's great. It's just like you said, you know, hashtag not not my Barbara Gordon. So. Not my babs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the final thing, and then we're really going to get into comics, people, but this is the last thing I want to talk about. If you want a more full or fuller discussion on this, you can go over to questions we don't have answers. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Or Carolyn and myself. I forced myself to be on there. And Donovan and Harold, we all talk about the Birds of Frey Birds of Prey film, but in the lens of female action movies and the genre and action stars and things like that. Uh, Donovan did because I told him that I was recording with you. He said that he wanted to apologize because he was a terrible human being and realized that in editing the episode, he cut you off a couple times and stamped on you as any man does. So he is sorry. (laughs) 
I totally didn't notice that. I'm sure you were more than willing to believe that he did that. <laughs> I, of course I am. I mean, I've got the text messages all set to go. Yeah. Uh, but no, this, so this film came out in February. It seems like so long ago. Now I've forgotten some of these points I wanted to bring up. Yeah, totally. But I've been waiting to talk about it because I want to talk about it with you. What did, can you even remember what it's about? What did you think about this film? What expectations did you have going in and what was your, your thought of Harley Quinn and the, well, Birds of Prey and the, what is it, Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn? Yeah. No, I, um, okay, I'll try not to repeat what I said on questions <laughs> we don't have answers. And also, I was on Talking Comics after that and I talked about it a little bit there. Um, but you're right. It's now that seem, they both seem like a million years ago because of all the stuff that's going on. Um, I went in with very low expectations because number one, I don't so much like the violence. And number two, I have always had difficulty with Harley as a character because I do, I was watching Batman, the animated series when she first appeared. And I Mm -hmm. just felt like this was a making light of someone in an abusive relationship that I did not at all appreciate. And I just felt like they're making her funny and sexy, but she, she is an abused person in a, in a very difficult situation. And and I did not find that amusing. Um, So those things together, plus having seen suicide squad, which apparently some people like, but (laughs) so I went into this with really low expectations and uh, I was, I had such a great time. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was clever and funny and didn't take itself too seriously with a lot of the framing of it and sort of the Deadpoolness of it. But at the same time, it was also deadly serious in kind of carrying through a theme of men being aggressors in a variety of ways, whether it was language, taking credit for stuff, um, threatening sex, taking credit for stuff women, I already said that, taking credit for stuff women (laughs) did, selling them out, talking down to them, committing violence on them. Um, And of course, this is in in one way not unusual because men are so overrepresented in movies. In general, men are the villains in movies. The difference here is that they were having kind of all your protagonists be women and all of the antagonists be men. So um, I thought that that theme was carried through very well. I appreciated that the women were differentiated from one another, not just in clothing and personality, but also in fighting styles. And I also really liked that Harley was not presented as a hero. She's not redeemed at the end. She's not a bird of prey. And that teamwork is a good thing and heroes like Renee Montoya and Dinah and Helena um, are going to be your heroes going forward. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I really did like it. I mean, I didn't love everything about it, but I, I just really liked it a lot more than I expected to. And I, I hope uh, it gets some home video play. Yeah. Agreed. I, I have a joke, but I'll have to find it and maybe share it at the end of the show um, about something that you had actually just said. So I went in expectation-wise. I think when the news was trickling down, I was uh, I was hesitant about the whole thing because I thought, well, of course it's going to be Harley headlining this because Margot Robbie's the one, uh-huh. you know, really pushing 
putting power behind it. Birds of prey. I'm a little, ooh, I don't like it that much that she's connected with them. There's no Barbara Gordon. That's a big problem for me. Oh, Cassandra Kane. Oh, well, probably what's going to happen is Harley's going to be the mother to, to Cassandra Kane, which did happen. So that was a good guess. Uh, and then it got the R rating. And I thought, oh, no, what's going to happen here with the violence and, and that? And I was looking at sexuality. And so all these things were kind of stacking up against it. But I thought, I'm just going to go into it. I It was I that Carolyn attacked recently. It is I <laughs> that like that like Suicide Squad. So I thought, you know, I like Suicide Squad. I'm just going to go in and think this is of that universe. This is not my birds of prey. So I think it'll be okay. It is an insane film. It is super zany, as befits the the Harley Quinn character, especially Margot Robbie's, uh, I think, interpretation of it. But I I actually really enjoyed it. I will agree the violence, especially when bones breaking outwards or knees going the wrong way, those things bother me. So when that started in the first five minutes, I thought, oh, no, is this what it's going to be like? But I enjoyed the characters. Helena, I'm still kind of working on. Uh, I, I'd like to see it again because I was a little... If I love her history and the story that they brought in yep. from Cry, yeah. Cry for Blood, but just like her presentation, the actress's presentation of it, of Huntress, I wasn't too sure about. She was kind of like a dopey funny, uh, which is not how I would expect Huntress to be. And, you know, Black Canary is like the, the, the serious person of the group. Um, and then Cassandra Kane, of course, is not anybody's Cassandra Kane. So you just kind of have to, uh, accept that particular character. But I was, laughing and I, I think I, I love yeah you called it the Deadpool nature of it and I think that is certainly uh, part of it just her storytelling how the narrative is jumbled um, the emojis coming up one of my favorite parts was when her apartment got blown up with the fireworks and because she would go through and say who the person is what his grievance is uh, and then there was something else. So this person's outside her window and she's like, who this person is? And it's the little emoji of the person shrugging, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> and half of the yeah. reasons for these people going after her is that uh, she didn't have a uh, – uh, I think she used the eggplant, the eggplant emoji, uh, which does – I mean that happens just because you're not a man. People get upset with you. But – I yeah, I thought it was it was fun. I think they probably could have tampered it down or tamped it down, tampered I think. And made it PG-13. I was happy that as you said, she wasn't redeemed. She made a mistake. She gave up the kid and she's like, "Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not a good person." So I appreciated that. I appreciated that she distanced herself from the birds of prey. So I feel like if there is a sequel, though I don't monetarily, I don't know if they have reason to make one at this point in time that while Harley could be in it, I think there's the potential of bringing Barbara Gordon and hopefully as Oracle and her joining that particular team. The fight scenes I thought were great. And one of my favorite things is that in the fight scene, you don't just cut from one to another. You actually see a fight scene in the <laughs> foreground. And then in the background, you've got Harley doing crazy stuff. And so you can see everyone <laughs> doing their work. And they also make commentary on certain things like Black Canary's hair was getting in her face and <laughs> Harley Quinn rides by and she's like here here's a hair tie and so they make commentary on stuff you know that ha happens in the comics world and and we question 
yeah, so I thought that it was it turned out to be a good film, I thought. And yeah, the issue is that it didn't get a lot of money. I think we talked about that on QNOA of of reasons why, you know, it could have been advertising, could have been, you know, they don't know these people, could have been that people don't really trust DC as much as they do Marvel to give it the benefit of the doubt. Um all of these things, but I'm I'm hoping that it's something that could continue on and maybe take the R out of it and have a PG-13, but I don't know. I agree with all that. And um, I mean, certainly Cass was a big sticking point for me. So it was kind of like reading the Oracle code where I just had to turn off my history brain and be like, okay, you know, this is supposed to be a young Asian American foster kid and she's a pickpocket. And so she's a different age from the others. And that's cool to have some age and racial diversity. But there's zero resemblance to Cassandra Cain. Um, and yeah, I mean, certainly as soon as they announced this film and it had nothing to do with Barbara Gordon, I just thought to myself, well, then don't call it Birds of Prey because the Birds yeah. of Prey is Barbara Gordon. Other people rotate in and out, but Barbara Gordon and Dinah Lance are the Birds of Prey, period. Um, so I, this is this is by way of saying that those of you who – maybe rolled your eyes at me saying the Oracle code wasn't my Babs, you know, these are not, this was not my cast or necessarily, but I still thought it was worthwhile to see. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I would still recommend it for sure. And it, yeah. Similar to the Oracle code, what lesson do people get out of the birds of prey from seeing this potentially? Um, Because Uh I think with Marvel that you could, they're potentially being educated. The masses are being educated to be more nerds like us, but with birds of prey, you know, I wore a sweatshirt on a day that says birds (laughs) of prey, but it's got the whole thing. And so they saw birds of prey, but then my students asked, is that the new Harley Quinn film? So the fact that she's, you know, associated with that and you're thinking, Oh man, you know, so my heart hurt a bit because I thought, it's not really Harley Quinn's birds of prey. It shouldn't be. So yeah, that 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 is uh, one of those things. Okay, uh, so, so I'm just gonna say, everybody, everybody read Birds of Prey number yes. one to number one hundred and eight. That's what you oh should. Oh my do. gosh, that's it's, it's a lot, but it's worth it. <laughs> it is. That sounds like more than you would make your collegiate class read. Of course it is, but you know what? So many people are working <laughs> from home, and I know you're not really working. So just read okay. Birds of Prey number one to number one hundred and eight. <laughs> okay, you heard it here first. So when Carolyn tells you to do something, you better do it. She's probably going to tweet about it later. So, oh. <laughs> so the final I, one of them, I'm actually not sure about. But there were two uh, areas. I'll say two because I just don't remember what the third is about. That were popped up. That popped up in QNOA, and I disagreed with it. But I didn't really. I don't like to harangue other people's shows because it's not my show. So one of them, I think we talked about. It being blunt feminism, that just a strong message of, you know, we've got these women who have been victimized by men in a, in a particular way, and all the villains are men as well. And so we called it blunt feminism. But the way it was talked about in my mind, I felt like it was a negative aspect of the film, whereas I was fine with it. And I wondered if we could kind of talk about it here. And I don't know if you've seen Little Women, but I wondered if if you'd be able to compare the blunt feminism, as we might call it, in Birds of Prey versus that in Little Women and whether there's a difference there or whether you really do think that what goes on in Birds of Prey and this message that it might be putting out was negative. 
No, I, I didn't think it was negative. And I think that me going in there as a person who teaches gender studies, um, maybe to me that theme is stronger and more of a pattern than it might be to someone else. So I didn't find it negative. I thought it was a good presentation of the different ways in which women get treated poorly uh, in daily life. Um, and so I think that people who might have felt it was blunter in a negative way maybe were made to feel uncomfortable by things that they hadn't really seen or thought about before. Um I I haven't heard an awful lot of women coming out of that movie saying, wow, I've never experienced any of that. So they really overdid it. What I was hearing instead and seeing online is, yep, that happened to me. Yep, that happened to me. So, mm. um, so no, I, I don't, I don't think it was um, either blunt or negative. I think you could walk into that movie and see it as a uh, funny, sexy girl team violence with breakfast sandwiches. Um, oh, and so wonderful! Really, I, 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 I'm not even exaggerating when I say I have made myself more breakfast sandwiches since that film <laughs> than like the entire calendar year before it. I know, oh, I know. Man. It's like reinvigorated me to make breakfast sandwiches. Yes, um, but I didn't see the new Little Women. I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's okay. I just, yeah, I wondered about that. Well, I feel like. Because it's it is pretty clear. Even though when I was in the film, I don't get wrapped up in those sorts of messages. Little Women is a bit different, which I can talk about. But um, I feel like some people might come away from it and be like, "Gosh, you know, all she was doing was beating up a bunch of men, and all the men were bad, and things like that." Which is interesting because of you know, do they talk about that when women are just portrayed as sex pots or honey pots, whatever they're called? Um, no, but when it's different, you know, then, then there's a, a cause for alarm, which is, which I think is interesting. But I liked that we were able to, and the whole thing of emancipation, even though that's a joking title, I think it's very much true for all of those characters and Harley driving that gas tanker into Ace Chemicals was, I think, a huge symbolic move, you know, however bombastic it was. Who among us has not, okay, I, I'm being metaphorical here, but who among us has not cried in pajamas and filled our mouth with cheese whiz? You know, we've all been yeah. in that situation. And we would probably all like to drive a fiery truck into Ace Chemical at some point in our lives. So making it cartoony, but with kind of a grain of truth at the core of it, I, I thought was great. And also, I, I just, as a general point, I just want to say that people are very often when people are uncomfortable with the term feminism, it's because they have a particular connotation to it. But the dictionary definition of it is just that you want equality and equity for everyone. Right. So when you think of it that way, it's, it, it is rather difficult to disagree with. So if someone is kind of coming away from this film and using sort of feminism as a negative term, then they have to realize that they're talking about equality being negative or pointing out oppression as being a problem. No, it's oppression. That's the problem, not pointing it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with Little Women, and I won't talk about it because this isn't the Little Women podcast, <laughs> but there are Well, well actually, moments. it is. We're both like five feet tall. <laughs> that, oh, look at you making the jokes. You're right. Okay, even though this is the Little Women podcast, it's not the Little Women <laughs> by Louisa May Alcott podcast. But there are a couple right. moments where two characters, and specifically Amy goes off and, and talks about 
why she has to marry wealthily and why that's uh, uh, something that's been forced upon the female sex and especially her in that in that family. And then Joe talks about sort of representation and how it's so hard for, you know, women to get their writing rights and um, just how yeah, tough it is to not be a man. So there are these moments that they clearly go off script, meaning off the off the novel and, and talk about it. And I felt like that was it took me out of the moment a bit, even though I can appreciate everything in that was being said because it wasn't just about then, but it was about now as well. And so I felt like, you know, how could you accuse birds of prey of having that and not uh, little women? But I think sometimes people need, honestly, the bluntness and these blunt messages in order to get something across in order to be heard. So hopefully it would help. Uh, The other thing that I want to talk about was someone brought up Something that actually really annoys me, but um, that's for my it's my own cross to bear and figure out the white savior complex. And it was regarding Cass. I don't remember who it was, and I didn't want to bristle at it and, and yell on the podcast, so I can yell about it now. So I don't know who it was, but that there was a white savior complex because of Cass and Cass being saved. So I guess we'll assume that Harley Quinn is the white savior. But I felt like – I don't know if you agree with the white savior thing. I felt like how could it n- – let me try to phrase this well – well, I guess technically it's there. What else can you do if Cassandra Kane is an Asian American and Harley Quinn is white? And also, I don't think that Harley Quinn really was a white savior since she betrayed her as well. Did you have any thoughts? I, I honestly don't remember who brought this up. But did you have any thoughts about this uh, presentation in the in the film? Well, it, it might have been me. I don't know. I mean, um, it could have been Donovan, too. And, well. It also could have been Donovan, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of writing about it right now, so it's definitely on my mind. Oh. I understand what you're saying, though. When you when the white character is the protagonist, then I mean, of course, the problem with having so many white protagonists is you you wind up with this trope over and over. Um, I think there there might have been another way to do it for Cass to save herself a little bit more okay. um, than being saved. But yeah, I think that you have to be, um, I I just think that writers have to be mindful um, that even when they're doing a lot of other innovative things, it can be so easy um, when you're centering kind of the same people over and over. And I realize, you know, statistically women have not been, but white people certainly have. So Mm -hmm. I I just think that it's good to be mindful um, of when you're always showing white people saving people of color. That's all. <laughs> okay. No, I appreciate it. It doesn't I, mean it's I've, not yeah. great. It, it can be great in isolated stories. It's just that the yeah. repetition of it, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm I'm working through still green the green book, green book, um, uh. because people were saying that. And I, I still, I don't know. I still, I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from, but I just I also disagree. So I'm just trying to work through this and wonder how. I mean, unless you rework everything i think and just recast and do a good job of casting i'm not sure how you can get around it because on paper if you just did a blind writing of this is what happens it's fine it's only that you happen to have margot robbie who's a white woman sit you know saving cassandra kane that it it's a problem but it but part of what makes it what makes it stick out is that anyone who knows cassandra kane from the comics knows that 
<laughs> this is someone who can take care of herself and everyone yes. else and is the yeah. best fighter in the DC universe and is stealthy beyond belief. And so to make her be the teenager that needs to be saved, to make her specifically that teenager, I think, if it was me or Don <laughs> who said this, um, you don't have to write the story that way. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah. so that's really the issue. I understand what you're saying. Like if you're, if this is the story you're going to retell, you'd have to recast to avoid it. But I guess what I'm saying is this is not the story you have to tell. That's it doesn't right, have yeah. to be that she drives off with Harley in the end. It could be that she decides she's just as alone and treated badly as the other three birds. And she's going to be a bird instead of drive off with Harley. That could have been the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm going to use my pickpocketing skills to help people. (laughs) I don't know, whatever. Um, so, so those were conscious choices, making the Asian American teenage girl be the way she was in the movie was a, was a set of choices that dishonors Cassandra (laughs) Cain and centers a white woman as superior to her. Mm, Okay. Well, I know someone Somewhere said if this continues, uh, Shiva should be in the next one. And it was someone from the actual movie. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with the, the Cassandra Kane. Because she only did, I think, one or two moves that you're like, oh, she seems like she might be competent. But it's not like she was really involved too much in the fighting. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. No, I look, I'd be happy to see a Cassandra Lady Shiva story. I'm hoping that Shadow of the Batgirl number two is Shiva shows up. I think that would be great. And, and then Babs and Jackie and Cass and Eric take her on. Whoa. Okay, well, we'll see if that ever happens. Okay. <laughs> well, I guess we'll call it there. Are you okay? Anything else you wanted to um, bring up? No, but I mean, you can still, you can feel free to disagree with me if you want to oh well i think i think i've said everything (laughs) no we're all donovan and i are scared really to disagree with you so we just send gifts of people bowing we send gifts of people bowing and say we are not worthy and then we move on so that's basically it my goodness that is so ridiculous (laughs) you've both met me in person so you know yeah yeah (laughs) And then we fangirled afterwards. Um, So again, if you want to hear Carolyn and I dominate the men over yonder at the the Q&A, Donovan's over there sometimes, and my Valentine that I called a Valentine without his consent or permission, Harold, you can check that episode out. But they swears over there, so just know that we have a cleaner mouth on this show. Uh, it well, was. I, I think it was really me that that dropped the f bomb on the <laughs> podcast. It because w- which is funny because I've gone over there a couple times and you know they'll they'll say the f bomb from time to time, and, but you were the first one to drop it, and then it seemed like it was a pretty clean show overall. I thought this is not too bad, but that Carolyn, she's bringing us down. I got mad. I got into a thing you about sure inequality and representation matters and stuff, and I, I got mad. They are they I are would. great guys, and it's a great podcast, and I just listened to their one about war, and uh, that's kind of what my new book is about, so I was considering sending it to them and imposing it on them for comments, oh, but I'll decide yeah. that in the next days. I think they would enjoy that. They'd probably faint. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're actually going to get into some comics now. And this is good because we're actually going to do two Birds of Prey stories that are, for the most part, standalone. And then our new 
back roll issue, and that's basically it. So I knew that the the uh, a big part of it, or at least a third, would be our discussion with all these intro things that were happening. I had to strike Clone Wars. I had to strike the West Wing. So um, we had to cut down some time. But now Carolyn's got to do some work because she got invited on here. I make my co-host do some work, so she's going to give us the plot <laughs> summary. Yeah. Uh, for 25, I guess we can – it's up to you. We can either do both of them at the same time. We can go one at a time. It's your choice. They, I guess, I, I mean, they don't really totally go together. I'll just do both. Is that all right? Okay. Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay. They are by the same creative team. So Birds of Prey number 25, Old Habits from January 2001, written by Chuck Dixon, art by Butch Geis, colors Shannon Blanchard, letters Albert de Guzman. Uh, this Summary is mostly from the DC Wiki, and I changed a couple things uh, here and there. So, in Gorilla City, Deathstroke, Grimm, and Lady Vic are surrounded by uh, hostile gorillas and their leader, Gorilla Grodd. Deathstroke threatens to blow up all of them with a mini nuke, and after consideration, Grodd allows the three of them to leave, but he doesn't know that Deathstroke was only bluffing. Meanwhile, Black Canary is taking a much needed vacation in a nice hotel with a great buffet. <laughs> Meanwhile, Oracle is having some fun with Ted Cord as they fly around Gotham City in Blue Beetle's bug. Together, they're peeking through some apartment windows to watch what other people are doing, and their faces get pretty close. And then Ted tells Babs that he's happy without being the Blue Beetle. But suddenly, there is a train accident on a bridge. Babs wants to help, but Ted thinks the firemen have it under control. But when they seem unable, the firemen, that is, to save a trapped child, Barbara urges him to don his Blue Beetle outfit, which he does one last time. He saves the kid and afterwards admits that it felt pretty good being the Blue Beetle again, but he's not sure he wants to really have a permanent comeback. So he and Babs's faces get close one more time, but close enough for them to realize that they don't want a deeper relationship. <laughs> and Babs says that she's getting serious about someone else. Okay. So number 26, The Suitor. Sorry, it's not going to be the person Babs was getting serious about. The Suitor from February 2001. Same team as number 25. So his passion for Talia al Ghul leads Bane to Dabar, and, which is described as an animist country surrounded by Islamic ones. When Bane enters an old temple, he immediately realizes that someone else has entered there just before him. He's hoping it's Talia, but it's the Black Canary, whom he's never met before. Uh, Dinah is wearing special glasses with a camera so that Oracle can see anything that she does. Oracle, Barbara, recognizes Bane and makes Black Canary aware of him and his reputation, which she then summarizes for him in a very funny way. Oracle informs her partner about other intruders on the way. Canary leaves ostensibly with a cry and Raish al Ghul's demon-masked thralls shoot at both of them. Deeper inside the temple, they find what Dinah was originally looking for, weapons and explosives. Bane tries to shoot around to cover their escape, which doesn't work. She tells him he's stupid. He tells her her rage makes her even more attractive. She says, yuck. Oh, and there's a Lazarus pit. Bane wants to destroy it to deny Rachel Ghul immortality by destroying the temple and the pit. He repeats his interest in her. He says, hey, at least this will get me over Talia. But she ostensibly because it's off panel, knees him in the groin and escapes through an underground river. And then the whole cave explodes. From afar, Talia al Ghul watches Black Canary make her way through the mountains. They're assuming Bane is dead, but Talia thinks her father just might be able to involve the Canary in his future plans. Dun, dun, dun. 
Dun, dun, duh, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for the painstaking care you went through in order to do those um, plot summaries. No problem. Happy to do it. Okay, so let us first talk about 25. Okay. And let us first talk about the cover of 25. (laughs) So it's, you know what this reminds me of? One of those old pop covers and comics i guess it'd be in the 60s 50s 60s yeah where there's a woman weeping you know i love them actually i really like seeing those um but yeah because you've got thrills spills and <laughs> chills uh you have barbara getting close to a man who is not dick grayson so i was <laughs> upset and you've got this train and this was actually misleading before i read it because i thought they were army members coming out and something crazy was happening and uh, then of course you have dinah in a leopard bikini top at least <laughs> looking very concerned so uh what do you think about this particular cover i i thought it was great i liked the old school nature of the those thrills spills chills subtitles um and yeah you, it's it's romance it's action it's oh something scary uh yeah so <laughs> i think it it does good work to pull you in art does this count as a floating head for barbara oh no <laughs> that's a good question did i count this one or not oh no i'd have to go back you to can my see, yeah I'd have to go back to my quantitative notes. I might have only counted it as a floating head if it showed another bird's full body. But okay. honestly, I don't remember. See my 2016 book. Oh, yes. It's equal more or less with Dinah. I mean, the same amount of surface area is shown. Yeah, I agree. And that is unusual for this time period. A little bit later, they get more even. But yeah, I think and I also think it's really I think they both look really pretty as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I actually, I really like this cover. I think it's a lot of fun. I think especially, we'll get into it, but the chills is really funny because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. Dixon does a fun job with that in there. Oh, and totally. And giving you enough to keep you interested in what might happen, but also um, looks can be deceiving as yeah. well with, with some of the stuff that's going on. So I thought it was a, a great cover. So, of course, there is a connection to the previous story just where we've got uh, the wrap up, and now people understand that Black Canary kind of betrayed them, or they were betrayed at the very least. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what happens after this, and whether we see Lady Vic again or Deathstroke or anything. But uh, did you like that we started with this and kind of had the uh, the the end bumper, I guess, from the previous story? Um, I didn't mind because I I did remember the previous one, but then you just feel like. There's just no reference to it um, for the rest of this issue or the next one or, frankly, the the couple after that, as far as I can remember. So I don't remember if they come back to it. I honestly don't remember if they come back to it. Okay. So at least we know that they know, the bad guys anyways, that yeah. Dinah might be in trouble. They know. And then Lady Vic uh, might get killed by <laughs> by Deathstroke, since he says, I didn't want anyone to, to get you. Uh, that was going to be my my gift to myself. <laughs> and then I call this Babs and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, dear. Uh, so what did you... <laughs> What did you think about this whole plot point in this particular that they're up in the uh the beetle and they have serious conversations as well as a lot of fun? What did you think about all this? 
I look, I really liked both of these issues a lot. I thought they were both really fun. They did character work. They had action. Um, and I just I like that. I like this Babs Ted thing because they I, I really like that they like each other. But that's about it. Like they're they're clearly well suited for each other, but the chemistry just isn't quite there. So I I just thought that was cool, um, and he I think it's really funny that he looks like super jacked, but he says at some point he hasn't been working out. I'm like, dude, you've been working out. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I think he he's concerned he wasn't going to fit in his yeah, suit. Yeah, I'm not going to fit in the suit. Really? What did you look yeah. like before? Um, but yeah, the, the, it's not very nice, but the looking in on people sequence is funny. The talking about being a hero is, is, is like a cool, serious talk. And once they are faced with a problem, they, of course, they're gonna try to help. Do you think it it seems like he takes a lot of, it takes a lot of convincing for him to actually agree to help. Do you think that was he always, was it inevitable? He was always going to help or did he really need that amount of convincing for whatever reason because he was hesitant to get back into that Blue Beetle role? What did you think about that whole sequence? I I pretty much assumed that he he would have done it on his own anyway. And I thought that his hesitance was a little too long. I mean, really, the Blue Beetle would really look down on a kid trapped in a fire and not do anything? That, that doesn't seem likely. I will say it does look like he's drawn with a bit of a paunch. Um, <laughs> I'm on page eight. I mean, a little bit of one. I okay, guess maybe okay. I'm trying to think of um, what's his name? Ooh, in Watchmen, it's the owl. What's the night name? owl. Yes, yeah, thank you. Okay, so, he's, so the, he's been lifting with his arms, but he hasn't been doing sit-ups. Is that? What I think so. Thinking? All right, that's fair. Yeah. Okay, maybe. Anyways, that's why he's. Uh, <laughs> he's I don't know, he's so hesitant to to do it though. Uh yeah, I liked I liked this particular it was nice. I mean, sometimes Birds of Prey doesn't have to be about action, it can be about character building, as you're saying, and I like how they have fun, uh, to the uh extent of peeping tomming, peep tomming. I don't know how you where you put the IG. <laughs> and also having serious discussions because you know, when when Ted says you can't play the hero forever and she says no I suppose not you kind of wonder what does that mean for her yeah. what is she thinking about but yeah I thought that overall this this excellent adventure as I called it was was pretty well-rounded <laughs> and it kept me engaged anyways Babs and Ted's excellent adventure Babs and Ted's excellent adventure yep uh what do you think she's thinking when she says no I suppose not and kind of has an interesting look on her face yeah I, I wasn't sure I felt like that was purposefully ambivalent like she's agreeing with him and she's thinking about it that way, or she's disagreeing with him and she's disappointed that he said that about himself. So I think it could be either. Which do you think it is? Oh boy. I feel like, yeah, I don't know if she's disappointed in him, but I wonder if she's considering like, what does it mean for her kind of thing? And I mean, you know, does it relate to her and being back girl? Like, oh, was it inevitable that I was going to give it up at some point in time? What does this mean for me as Oracle as well? I'm not sure because she doesn't see, you know, we've talked about this, I think, not you and I, but I feel like in general, probably fans have talked about who in the Batman family would give up mm -hmm. their cowls, who, who has that ability to do that. And I feel like she has the pen potential to do that, um, but I don't know when, you know, I, I don't know if she sees 
an end goal in sight of, you know, when this happens, I'm going to stop being Oracle. Well, but she's kind of, well, giving up the cowl in terms of not being Batgirl, I think is different from not being Oracle. Like maybe she, maybe she's contemplating that one can't be the out there physical hero forever because, because the body won't do that, but one could be Oracle. But yeah, I mean, even if she were still Batgirl at this moment, she's the only one that could hang up the cowl and like have a career. <laughs> Nobody else yeah. has one. Like, yep. You know, none of the none of those dudes have uh, have degrees or careers like she does. Um, so I didn't really. I mean, the look on her face is absolutely like she's thinking about it. But mm-hmm. but I can't imagine she would not give up being a team with Dinah unless she had to. Yeah. And and her purpose is so much greater than it was when she was Batgirl. So in giving up Oracle, you're like taking a piece out of the whole DC universe, Mm -hmm. yeah, which is interesting. And I I feel like she recognizes that without being egotistical because she is very much the linchpin between many teams and um, all these heroes. Yeah, by this point, definitely. Uh, so you mentioned this kiss, this uh, this double kiss. I mean, is Dixon a tease? I'm going to call him a tease in the next <laughs> one probably too. But is he a tease here for getting them that close, but then in the end they don't kiss? Well, because is the that close they want to or they kind of don't want to, but their faces are close together and they're worried that mm. the other one wants to? I, I, it, it, but, but the, look, <laughs> the look on their face, I yeah. don't know. It's like... If I were watching this on a TV, I'd I'd expect them there'd be some shipping right there. Yeah, yeah, but yes, but you know, even when people's faces are close together, they don't have to kiss. I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Ben Solo and Ray. Oh, <laughs> right. I said interesting! It. I said it. <laughs> Shots fired. Pew pew pew. Okay. Well, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I guess it could just be it happened to be close and now maybe they're feeling awkward about this. But there are so many people out there that on Twitter or wherever it is, whenever I do the my Dick and Bab shipping, they're like, actually, I really like Bab and Babs and, and Ted here. And I'm like, well, here's the evidence of why, you know, they're not going to get together. So I think they are just good friends. I don't think he's saying that for her benefit because they were stepping over each other when they're talking. Yeah, I I think that they're both basically in the same place. They like each other. They kind of could get together, but they both are hesitant about it. And it doesn't feel quite right. And, and they both realize that, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Um, but it's interesting because it did cause a bit of a, a triangle when Dick had shown up. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. So, so we'll see about that. Uh, so the other thing I want to talk about, this might be my last one, unless we talk about something else, is just um, – Dixon's plotting for Dinah's vacation. So there are three times where it seems something sinister is about to happen. She's sunbathing or she's at least she's in a hammock and for some reason she has one of those nose things over her so I guess she can breathe. And then a shadow descends upon her but it's just a man giving her a refill. Uh And then the second time she's in line for the buffet and she gasps but it's just that she (laughs) found some kiwis and she was super excited about it. And the third time after some sex salsa dancing she's walking to our hotel room and she goes uh no but it's just because her hotel room is all a mess so <laughs> what did you think about these moments and how dixon plotted it loved it loved it 
because she deserves a vacation, but she's still a hero that's on guard. And we've been trained as uh, readers to be worried about these kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was great. And I thought that the panel where she is wearing that yellow and black dress and she's just like walking through the hotel like with this huge smile. She doesn't even really notice that everyone is turning to stare at her because she's gorgeous. But she is like <laughs> making a beeline for this buffet. <laughs> yep. Because that's Dinah. She's like, yes, buffet. So good. I – yeah, I – the, one of the greatest things I think about Dixon is just his way to, well, write women, to write action and good character moments, but then also this humor that we find in this particular book. And it just reminds me of when she was gasping and really shocked and scared, and it was a computer that yes. had given her. Yeah. So just these heightened moments that you can't tell, but you know, it could be for her, like especially because of the lead-in from the beginning, you don't know if, uh-oh, did Death Strike stroke, did Death Stroke get off uh-huh. wherever he was and now he, here he is but yeah so it was great the only disappointment of course is that they're still not together I'm just waiting for Dinah and Babs to be you know physically reunited so that's the only down point of this particular story and her being on vacation that's number 28 oh thank you for giving me a number to look forward to You're I've been almost- saving this song for forever to play and i thought it was going to be this one but it's not i have to figure out a new song oh it's one of <sighs> one of my favorites 28 okay so uh well any other thoughts on number 25 uh nope nope thought it was fun okay so out of 10 blue beetle ponches <laughs> what would you give this oh no um <laughs> uh i I guess uh, I guess a nine. It's got it's got good stuff going on for both of our birds. Good characterization. Um, it's funny. It's um, you got the Ted Barber thing kind of gets resolved. Um, yeah, nine. Okay, and I will agree with you and say uh, nine. Uh, Ted Blue Beetle Ponches as well. <laughs> okay, so moving on into 26. We already have the recap, of course. This is our Bane issue. Oh, dear. Uh, another romantic cover. Oh, this, <laughs> this you... cover is too we... much. This cover is so good. <laughs> okay, well, please tell us about I it. I don't even know where to start with this cover. For one thing, above the Birds of Prey title, it says, This issue, colon, Batman Dies. Which hilariously is completely false. <laughs> because he's not even in it. And that that's just that's just great right there. Um, <laughs> number two, the the title is Love is in the Air. And Dinah is sort of standing up with her head thrown back and her hand kind of on the back of her neck like she is overcome and about to faint. Because her other hand is holding Bane's hand, and he is on his knees with a with a heart shaped box of chocolates, and he's saying, "But, but they're yummy." Meanwhile, unfortunately, behind him is a bunch of racism. But other than the racism, oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, totally, come on, because the what racism, a way to phrase it. What do you mean? What do I mean is that other than what you have in the foreground, which is hilarious. What is in the background is a tumbled mass of probably 10 men who are framed as being sort of Arab or Muslim or something because they're sort of hooded and swathed head to toe except for their eyes. And um, 
I, I just I don't have a lot of patience for that. But the foreground. What if it were another group? Would it be the same? I guess I would have to see what the difference would be. I don't even know why they need to be there necessarily. Oh, they probably don't. I the, my only thing is it's connected to the story and that aren't his uh, people. Yeah, but that's not what they're wearing. The people actually in the story, even the ones who led him to this place, weren't they wearing they those helmets? Decimates. Um, no, they yeah. Not in those colors though. Not that weird. But in the story, it makes a little more sense because, like, you're going across the desert, you're going to cover your head or whatever. On the cover, out of context, it just looks like you have a mass of people of color color in the background and you have black canary looking white and curvy in the foreground. I just don't think they need to be there. I think the cover would have been fine with no background with him kneeling in front of her and stuff. I understand it's supposed to be funny. I just didn't think that aspect was funny. I thought everything yeah, no, was. I get that. At, well, at first I thought when I saw this, I thought that they were all dead. And I thought, oh, dear, that's a macabre. You know, this in the foreground, the background. But then I noticed that the one person is mm-hmm. his eyes opening is open and then the white flag in the back. So I realized that they weren't dead, dead. Yeah. Uh, but I can see what you're saying. I do think they are – they are, might supposed to be – well, the people that he destroys in the first couple pages because they seem to wear the same thing. But I do understand that it, it was unnecessary. Uh, but that is a, a good quote though, you know. And then in the background, a pile of racism. So <laughs> I appreciate that quote. Well. Okay. Now, my first point is it seems small. But it bothers me, and it's something that Alan Middleton and I like to talk about a lot. Barbara Gordon's hair. Oh, okay. Let me get there. What is happening? What is happening with it? What even is it? I'm trying to think of a good. I mean, I try to figure out her hairdo. It's very bizarre. Oh, oh I see. Yeah, the first thing she <laughs> says is "Oh no," which might as well be describing her hair. Yeah. Um, it also doesn't going match. On? It doesn't match from one page to the next, which is yes. also unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, but, but but and in the previous um, in the pre- in number twenty five, right before this, it looked pretty cool. Yeah. I, I did, mean, yeah. yeah, the style I, and color. So yeah, sorry, didn't notice it, it myself. Glad you pointed <laughs> it out. That is bad. And also in the the second time it shows her where her hair is down, she's got a little Bonnie Raitt thing happening. Like it yeah. looks white in the – what is that? And then if you flip to the second last page, okay, look at her in the top right and that weird hairdo. Second to last page, top right. Oh, oh. Now she's got like a <laughs> 90s volcano ponytail. <laughs> well, but, you know, I was actually going to point out Black Canary right to the left of that because I think she's constipated. Oh, no. Could be. That was a squeaker. i don't know yeah sometimes there's some strange hairdo for barbara gordon wait i want to be clear that black canary is literally saying that was a squeaker that was not stella's commentary (laughs) yeah 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 i wouldn't have yeah i wouldn't have come up with that on my own (laughs) okay Uh, uh okay well i just wanted that clarified that it wasn't just me that thought she had some strange uh strange hairdo totally missed it and you're right 100% right um, is Dixon still a tease here because he doesn't have Dinah and Babs in the same room? I mean, what yeah. is he waiting for besides issue 28, as we just found out? It, well, I think it's exactly that to sort of drag out the not having them in the same room. 
Okay. It, it's working, right? You're going to keep reading. Yeah, that is true. Well, yeah, reading just to get to that point, it's like watching the next episode for the two lead characters to finally get together. So I guess so. Um, okay. Now, I have read Bane and the Demon, I believe it is called. And so it gives good background for his motivations and what he's talking about with Talia. Have you read that is my first question. And then my second question is, do you think this story works if you have not read that story? I don't remember reading that story. What was it in? I think it was a standalone because there was Vengeance of Bane. And then there was like Bane of the D. And he basically hangs out with Raish, Raish al Ghul for a while and might be a successor and, and gets together with Talia and kind of falls in love with her in the way that Bane can do. All right. Then I get. I guess I must have read that because – I I know what you're talking about. And when I read this, I was not at all surprised. I like I knew that that's who he was talking about immediately about about Talia and being in love with Talia. So so I guess I did. Okay. So it worked out for you. Yeah, do you think fine. people who hadn't <laughs> do you think people who haven't read it would be confused? Hmm. Well, you don't get too many pages in before it's made clear that it's Talia. That is his the object of his affection, and there's sort of mm-hmm. like a picture of of Raish and Talia kind of in the background, and where he's saying, uh, "I can feel passion" and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think I think one could follow if if one had not read that other thing. Okay, uh, and then at the end, I guess you get her. Mm-hmm. Do they call her Talia? I think so. Well, she says, "Father will be mistress." I guess you can assume. That that's her. But since there's that picture of her earlier, okay, it doesn't match perfectly. That's true. Yeah, you're right. I, it doesn't seem to name her on the last page. Hmm. Yeah, but it does say your father. But I, I see your point that if if you had not read any of this before, would you follow the whole thing? Yeah, if you're just a fan of Birds of Prey. Yeah, but would you I know what a Lazarus yeah. pit was? Yeah. Well, I can't remember. There's a – uh-oh, I – I don't know if this is a spoiler because I don't remember the number. There is a whole there is a whole I plot. do know that with Dinah. Yeah, I do know she gets dropped in there. Okay. So that hasn't happened yet, right? I feel like we're leading into it yeah. because uh it seems like Dinah's gonna be taken soon. I don't know if that's an X arc or not, in order to be a, a sex kitten for uh for Raish. Yes. <laughs> that that is that is what happens. And Oh, oh what a guess. Um this is so terrible. I, I should remember this. I'm sorry I don't. D- opens one own, one's own book to check <laughs> while doing Oh, no. Things. I know, right? This is knowledge I yeah. used to have. Don't have any anymore. But, yeah. Okay, so that's coming. There will be there will be Dinah Raish stuff. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, but I guess the main point being that, yeah, if you weren't well-versed in it, then you might not catch that. Do-do-do-do-do, Dinah. I like that she got in a few good licks with Bane. Yeah, totally. Which was great. And then, yeah, they keep kind of coming back to each other and, and fighting a bit. Do you think Dinah seems like a good substitute for Talia? <laughs> for Bane, that is. <laughs> I would say their personalities are not similar. But I guess he doesn't know that or doesn't care at this particular moment. I mean, particularly yeah. with the Dinah not being a villain would be uh, one place to start. Yeah. I guess it seems like he's attracted to her strength and that he she doesn't just bow to him. Yes, I agree. 
which is maybe why. But yeah, I do agree that other than that, they're not well suited. (laughs) No, I wouldn't think so, which is, yes. Uh, Which one of my favorite moments actually is when they get really close. (gasps) It was another almost kiss. Mm -hmm. And then, um, then you just see his face in some major pain. So she, she got a good looking right there. Well, I, I'm going to have to give that my favorite panel award because they don't show what you assumed happened, but it's like on the left hand side, he is sort of, <laughs> you know, lying on the ground and, and cover him with his hands between his legs. And on the right yeah. of the same panel is like this great action shot of her jumping into the river saying, adios, lover. Yep. And, but, and, and it's funny, not because, you know, getting need in the balls is inherently funny, but it's funny because Bane yeah. is like this super, super tough dude. And that's all she had to do to get him to roll around on the ground. I wonder how often that had, or if ever that's happened to Bane. Hmm. That's a good question. And I also want, don't you think, I, I feel like Batman wears a, a protective cup, an athletic cup, a bat cup. I don't know. But don't you think other people might also wear that? You would think that they would. I, hmm. But I would assume, write in and tell us, fellas, that they're not that comfortable to run around in. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, might maybe. But I mean, if athletes, I mean, every athlete, I think, is probably wearing one. So they have to have some sort of comfort, I assume. But maybe he's just like macho enough or so macho that he thinks I will never get taken down in this way. <laughs> that could be. But even in Mortal Kombat, the movie, Goro was taken down in that way. Well, uh, then I think uh, people have to be prepared for such an eventuality. <laughs> It's true. Um, Okay, we have this nuclear device. It went off. Should Dinah be suffering from acute radiation poisoning? (laughs) Or should Bane, who I'm guessing is not dead. (laughs) Of course not. Yeah, totally. It blows up right behind her. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Especially since she named it. She said it was a nuclear device, Uh and then she's not very far away, I thought. Oh. Not so sure about that. So this is another one shot. This is which is really interesting, just because we had two one shots back to back for the most part. What would you say the purpose of this story is besides setting up a potential interaction between Dinah and the demon? Do you think it serves another purpose? Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it it also is a good a standalone good characterization of Dinah and of Bane. I think it shows their personalities quite well. So even if you didn't have them reoccur, particularly with Talia and Raish, that it would still be a strong standalone. Mm. Yeah, and I guess it shows, I mean, with the Birds of Prey, they they are globetrotters. And oftentimes we've had missions against people that are just one-and-done people, generals or something like that. So maybe it's also a nice way to bring them back into the universe and show or have them go up against someone that they know of with Bane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, and I think it's n- not a bad thing to show that other people besides Batman can be a match for Bane in their own mm-hmm. way. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, because I feel like she's one of the top – I would say top five, um, in case people disagree with me, I'll at least say top 10 fighters in the DC universe. Um, Dinah, that is. So, like, yeah, yeah was great martial inter- arts, you mean, yeah. Yes. Uh, so it was great to see her do that. Um, and then we get 
to see Dinah be Babs's mouthpiece again, which I feel like they've learned well mm-hmm. from the previous arc. So now she can uh, do a good job of just talking as if Barbara Gordon uh, were there. So the last thing I want to talk about were the letters. Sometimes I skim them. And one of them was rather interesting from King Jason. Okay. His quote, because he says other things, but the quote that I pulled out there is that he says, get her out of the wheelchair already. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. And the associate editor was writing uh, the letters, writing responses to the letters at the time, Michael Wright. He says, we have no plans to take Babs out of her wheelchair, Jason, your majesty. Quite frankly, we <laughs> think she's a unique and important hero just as she is. Um, yeah. I mean, in... I, when I wrote my, my last book, I, um, I, I did read all the letters for all the, well, for everything I read, I read all the letters and, um, there were a much smaller number of people who said, get her out of the chair than of people who said, thank you for having her in the chair and making Mm -hmm. her such a good character in the chair. But yeah, there was a small and vocal minority that would say, come on, this would be more interesting if you did it this way. And whoever the editor was, um, sometimes it was, I think earlier it was Jordan Gorfinkel. They were like, no, that's not what we're doing, but we, we appreciate your point of view, but this is who she is and we're happy to explore that. And we have a lot of people telling us it's important. Now we can only guess, but what do you think goes through the minds? Because I assume that King Jason, His Majesty, is not a an ableist. Um, I mean, I'm going to assume on his behalf. But what, what do you think people would want to get her out of the chair, or what would that cry be for? Um, I mean, it, it's well at this point the birds of prey. If it, all right, let me put it another way. It's 2001, right? So if you were a Batgirl fan from 1967 to 1988, then you could reasonably assume because of the way comics work that Barbara being Barbara using a wheelchair was going to be a temporary thing. And then there would be some, uh, you know, Wonder Woman, Themyscira, purple ray of healing that was just going to change it. So I would imagine there were a lot of people who probably thought it was temporary and who thought it was cool to have a Batgirl swinging around in Gotham and maybe preferred Barbara to Cassandra in that role. Um, I I think that's part of it. I think another part of it is I do think some people were just kind of ableist and didn't think it was that interesting to watch someone mm-hmm. sit still like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think those are basically the couple of things. So I think some of it was totally well-meaning. They just wanted like their Batgirl back the way you and I kind of were saying that earlier in a way. (laughs) And maybe we'll say it uh, in a few minutes. We'll see. Oh no. Okay. Uh, Anything else from this particular issue? Mm, No, I don't think so. I could say more about there wasn't an, a special need to, set this in a country where in the first couple pages, Bain is like the Islamic country here is a wasteland and I'm being led there by fanatics and I'm surrounded by jackals. It's like, okay, you don't have to be racist and imperialist at the same time. <laughs> Cause he says he's there to steal treasure. And then Dinah's there because there is a terrorist cell. It's just, 
you've now used like five different phrases that are sort of implicating, you know, Arabs, Persians, Muslims as terrorists. And this was in 2001, but this is before September 11th, 2001. And so at this at this point, reading it in 2020, we're going on like decades of, of framing particular people as terrorists and savages. And so I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm tired of that. Having said that, I really enjoyed um, both of these issues. And I would give this one a nine also. I, I do have a question, but I'll give my grade and then I'll ask you the question. Okay. I didn't like this one as much. I... I mean, there were some great moments, and I liked Dinah beating up Bane and everything, but it just seemed like it had no purpose until the very end when it all came together and had somewhat of a purpose. So I'm going to give this a lower 7.5. Oh, that, that's fine. I just, I liked the, um, I mean, I, there wasn't enough Babs in it for me, but I liked the super serious characterization of Bane. And then Dinah comes in in her no-nonsense way, and she's like, ugh, dude, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should have said 7.5 out of 10 weird Babs hair. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll go yeah. down to 8 out of 10 for hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my question to follow up, I guess, with, um, I guess, almost Islamophobia, I guess you could almost think of it that way. Do you feel the same way in our current climate with movies that um, I don't know, like red Dawn when they redid it and, and it was uh, against North Korea instead of Russia, or if, if they have any focus now, since we're American and the comics are coming from Americans, do you feel the same way when we're assigning a particular type or villainy to a particular group of people? If you're centering it on like literally one country that is a dictatorship and you're portraying that government as being a problem, that is not unreasonable. But it's kind of like with um, with the sexualization of women in comics that went on for decades. It's not so much the doing it one time, it's the repetition of it that becomes a problem. And especially for people who maybe don't know that much about other areas of the world or maybe have not been exposed to people who might cover their heads or grow a beard for their religion or be brown, that if you continuously just sort of repeat, these people are savage, these people are terrorists, these people are fanatics, that can take a toll after a while. I'm not saying comics is going to change anybody's mind, but I am saying because there's a lot of um, there are a lot of studies about this that when people have very low information about another country or a group of people or a religion or whatever, and they see sort of repeated um, portrayals of them, whether it's in fiction or nonfiction, um, then they tend to believe that stuff because they don't have kind of a mental filter to say, hmm, no, I don't think that's true. So, mm. so that is really my issue. It's not like this one comic was going to change somebody's mind. It's just that this one comic is emblematic of a, of a broader trend where you're really kind of homogenizing and making monolithic, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of people. And, and I think that can lead to problems. Yeah. Well said, Professor. <laughs> okay. Well, now we have two listener emails. Mail Here's the mail, it never fails. 
Cause it makes me want to wag my tail When it comes, I want to wail First is from Ian Prime, a.k.a. Ian Miller. He says, Dear Stella, just want to send an email about the latest episode of BTO. Love the Birds of Prey coverage. I, too, was a bit let down that Babs and Dinah didn't get to spend together, spend time together in person after Hunt for Oracle, but it was still a fun little adventure in the jungle. One of my favorite arcs is coming up starting in issue 30, so I look forward to hearing your thoughts on that as always. As for the modern Batgirl issues, I unfortunately completely concur. Just because Babs does things that Oracle doesn't expect doesn't mean Oracle can't counter it. Because the reason she wouldn't do those things is because they're dumb and easily countered. (laughs) It's a plot I've seen in comics before, and it was just as badly handled previously as it is here. The fantasy fantasy world issue that follows is also really bad. (laughs) If you're going to focus on people who aren't our main characters, characters you have to make them interesting and these characters and worlds are simply very dull additionally babs and jason themselves are incredibly poorly written dithering and immature i wasn't the biggest fan of the plotting during scott's run but the characterization was so much better than this here's hoping to better things and looking forward to more birds of prey (sighs) (sighs) (laughs) okay uh and then uh, also from well do you have any comments on that i mean i'm sure we'll get to some of them yeah, I, I think that we'll wind up addressing it when we talk about the new issue, right? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Okay, and then finally, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes. He says, hi, Stella. I would like to make a suggestion for your next shipper special. I think you'd enjoy going through Love, Chunibio, and Other Delusions. It's a very sweet series that tackles a budding relationship between a boy who has outgrown living in a fantasy world and a girl who hasn't. What I really like about it is how the boy, Utah, takes it slow, knowing that the girl, Rika, can't handle the normal development speed of a relationship. There are really some unique situations, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. I'll be checking out Maid Sama after listening to your discussion with Donovan. It sounds like fun, and I'm sure my daughter will also like it, but we have to finish getting through My Hero Academia first. And then there's a concerned emoticon, I think. Or it's a wink. I can't tell. (laughs) Gene. Yes, good luck. I think My Hero Academia has like 80 episodes or something. I don't know. It's one of those really long ones. Uh, And yeah, I've put that anime on my list. So I guess we'll see. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to review Batgirl 96, a.k.a. Batgirl 44. But first, Zias' Radio Hour featuring Breathe Again from the anime Carol on Tuesday that is sung by the character Angela, but in real life by the person Alyssa. Today's a day that I break from these chains in the world, I know But I keep on moving, I want something new cause there's more to go Try not be selfish like it's not a bad thing, I'll take control Cause today's a new day and I'm trying to feel like a miracle Give me new life, give me new eyes, baby
Macro 44, or as I like to call it, 96, because we're all basically in the same continuity. They'll probably come back at issue 100 and say, and we're back, we're renumbering it with 100, who knows. This is called Dragons Beget Dragons. Writer Cecil Castellucci, artist Cian Tormi, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. Unearth. Batgirl is attempting to fight the dragon, knowing she can't possibly win, as Jason acts pessimistically. Meanwhile, the maker, Margaret, and Travesty discuss the situation slash story that the dragon is undefeatable, but it must be defeated, and the impossibility of the task is the essential ingredient of the elixir that will save Margaret. Meanwhile, the dragon keeps getting bigger because it is feeding off of the feelings of a man newly in love. Who? Who's in love? Jason. What the? 
All those feelings come from Babs and me, listeners. Batgirl is confused, but also helps Jason work through his feelings and also works through her own since she realizes that the dragon is feeding on her own feelings as well. And we see moments of love as well as those of doubt and fear. Travesty suddenly decides that he is the hero of the story because he loves no one but himself and leaps into the fray despite the maker telling him not to. He pulls a scale, but his ambition was full of insecurity security and fear and he is burned on the spot dracaris <laughs> dracaris Batgirl then tries to work through Jason's insecurities and gets him to talk about Babs and what he likes slash loves about her. At the same time, she addresses some of the questions he has, hypothetically, and internally asks herself some things and talks herself up. They reach common ground and unity. Maker and Margaret make a magical sword of unity, and Jason and Batgirl plunge it into the heart of the dragon. Jason gets some courage, finally. And takes the scale from the dragon, but is blasted from the dragon's final breath and dies. Batgirl then demands the elixir, but Mega refuses because it is for Margaret. Shockingly, since Margaret was a bit villainous at the end of the previous issue, Margaret wants to give Batgirl the elixir and says she will stay with Maker and they'll do the best that they can. Batgirl thinks positive things about Jason, then presses the elixir into his heart. He wakes up, groggy, the gateway opens, and they walk out. Jason and Batgirl shake hands, so I guess they're not enemies now, and walk their separate ways, which actually happens to be the same way, because Jason is going back to his apartment to talk to Babs, and Batgirl has to race him back to that apartment in order to be Babs. Shockingly, she has difficulty keeping up with him, even though he has a bum leg. On the way, she sees him helping a homeless woman, and then hears a scream and sees him running. Curious. She doubles back and sees that the homeless woman has become liquid and adamantium or not that i guess that's the marvel uh, next we have statues of limitations <gasps> okay so let me pull my little guy up here we have to think positive thoughts here and so the positive thought that we will begin with is our favorite panel our favorite art panel Okay. Well, my favorite panel is that she has her yellow gloved fist kind of pushing into her other hand right over the bat on her chest. And the narration box next to her says, love overcomes fear. And my backup favorite panel is when she and Jason are back to back and they kind of look at each other over their shoulders with a little bit of hope and and trepidation. What were yours? Or what was yours? I... Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. The panel at the bottom of whatever page this is for, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that love overcomes fear. Just a really great one. I like the scenes, at w- the idea of them at least, and, and how she reacts to them that we see of her history, though we do need to mm-hmm. talk about the, the particular scenes that are used. But yeah. I just thought that was an interesting conceit that is used, yeah. that we can see her reacting to them. And they're not really there, but in her, I guess, mindscape, as it were. So I thought that was interesting as well. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the overall idea or conceit is that we've got this dragon getting larger because of the fear and insecurity, and it's feeding off of all the characters in there, I guess, with the exception of Margaret and the Maker. And this is great because they need to make that elixir. Uh, this started from the previous 
issue and it really was focusing on Jason and it just really knocked him down in character that all of a sudden he's kind of this quivering pile of manhood. I don't I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, but, but what do you think about the overall, I guess, conceit of this story with the dragon and that it's feeding off and it has to be destroyed, but it's impossible to destroy, but that's why it needs to be done, all that. Uh-huh. Well... <laughs> Okay, so I I reread 43 before I read 44 and as a as a pair I think they're stronger but it it was um did Ian say something in his email about how if you're going to create this whole fantasy world you have to make us care about these people? How did he put it? Yes. If you're yeah. going to focus on people who aren't our main characters, you have to make them interesting and these characters and worlds are just simply dull. Okay. Also, Babs and Jason are poorly written. Okay, Ian, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you on this, and I'm with Stella on what she said about number 43 last time. It just seemed like they, the, the conceit of it is that I, I don't particularly care about um, the guy who's writing the story or the woman he's trying to save, and, and she sort of, in one panel, decides to, like, save Jason instead of herself. And the guy's like, yeah, okay. And so I, I found it difficult to compare uh, to, sorry, to care about them. I appreciated that what was trying to happen here was like, there's meta stuff about writing stories and it's metaphorical about their fear and it's a dragon and they have to slay it and whatever. And it's kind of parallel to the Oracle code that Barbara has to overcome her fear. But you know, it's 2020 and Barbara's been trying to overcome her fear since 2011 and I'm getting pretty tired of it at this point. Like when is she just going to be the Barbara Gordon who is like a competent adult Batgirl that she was for decades? It just seems like she gets sort of de-aged and uh, I I don't know, de-characterized? Is that even a word? Like she just hasn't grown this whole time. She She's like a kid who doesn't know how to take her next step in life. And now Jason is sort of part of it too. And we know Jason from the old days of Batgirl, you know, decades back. But this is not that Jason. And this Jason was set up to be kind of a jerk. And now he's being set up to be not a jerk and to be put together with her. And it, it's hard to make all these pieces kind of go in together. And it it seems to me like they just frankly do not. And I also find it difficult to believe that a formerly disabled person would even say the phrase bum leg. That's just like, Mm. really does not seem like something you would do. So I think that if you summarize these two issues in a sentence of they have to overcome their fear to be together. And so there's this whole metaphorical thing about them slaying the dragon of their fear that sounds good but i think the actual laying out of the story i found challenging to care about sorry for being long-winded there no that no what well, yeah i i made a mistake by not actually starting us off and saying what what do you think of this overall i just dove into it so that actually worked out and it covered my mistake um <laughs> yeah i have so many like follow-up questions to ask things that I have problems with. I guess I'll start with. (laughs) (laughs) It's very hard. I'm laughing at your deep breath. 
but go ahead. I know. The previous arc ended with her, again, having this moment of leaping off and I'm starting a new life. And then we dive into this, which, in my opinion, goes against what that ended with. And it seems like from what you just said, that is also true. But she's been starting a new life for nine years. I know. How many more? Yes, I know. I, hey, ma'am, I am with you. But my question is, because I came from the same author, do you feel like, is this poorly written? Because I feel like this one in, in particular is poorly written. Because Castellucci had to all of a sudden change her plotting because originally she was going to do something where Babs went to Chicago and her mom was there and everything. Uh, uh, well. <laughs> I'm just trying to give the author a bone. I just wonder why th- this happened to us. Why are we here and why is it con- con- contradicting what Casalucci had ended her previous arc with? Okay. I think that is a totally fair question. And lots of times things happen behind the scenes and author and writers, excuse me, are told that they have to do certain things. I also think that that doesn't necessarily explain how much of the last issue and this one are te- have to tell us instead of show us. Yeah. And, and you know, look, I... I am a total sucker for like 1980s Chris Claremont. There are a zillion words in every comic. So it's yeah. not like I have problems with wordiness. But if you've got to tell me so much in an inner monologue because you're not showing it then, it, it, then then you're making it harder for me to get into the story you're telling. It's also weird to have Batgirl talk about Babs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that mm-hmm. threw me off as well. And like, but trying to figure out her own feelings and almost being pushed into it, which I, I want to say that story point because as a shipper, you would expect me to be on board with this, but I am not at all on board with what happened in here. There was something I was going to say. Oh, the fantasy element was also something that I got stuck on in the previous issue. My opinion is that Barbara is more ground level or... That might not be the best phrase, but just a street level or kind of more realistic stories. Does this fit with Bar? Do you think this is okay that she has this fantastical adventure here or does it? Because for me, it just doesn't it doesn't fit well for me. No, I mean, I think if you if you have something like this, that's only two issues within a number of years of stories, it's not a big deal. But the fact is, we're reading it right now because these are the issues coming out month to month right now. So it's two months of, to me, what is this? Why are we doing this? Um, I thought we were kind of going to our street roots. And again, I am extremely impatient with Barbara Gordon getting over her fear for nine years, especially because this is a character whose history is not having a tragic backstory like others, but wanting to do good just because she wants to do good. And yeah, Mm -hmm. she kind of likes adventure too. And if she is afraid of stuff, she just kind of pushes through it. So why do we need over and over and over and over again? She's scared. She doesn't know what to do. You know, it's just, it's just so tropey about young women and it's so false to the history of the character. It it just, I, I don't know how many more times they can keep doing this. Clearly, infinitely, because we've dealt with it so often. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, my ratings are like far below what I normally had. And, you know, I think back to the fun times of Brian Q. Miller and, uh, and the Burnside crew when I was giving high grades and really enjoying and thinking that was a good uh, characterization. But yeah, we're getting, I feel like we're getting writers that don't understand who Barbara Gordon is at her core and are just trying like a reboot. Thank you for bringing up Burnside because it was unfair of me to characterize from the new 52 to the present as all one thing. The Burnside run was different. And so I apologize yeah. to that group. That's you should be <laughs> apologetic. Uh, no, I, the reboots, it's like, let's hit a new status quo. Wait, this isn't working. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put on new boots. Oh, this isn't working. Yeah. So it's same old, same old. They, they need to do something. I would like to go through the scenes of her history. Okay. Uh, which I think start on page five ish. Uh-huh. Um, Some of them, I'm not sure what's going on. So if we begin, we've got nice, happy family with Barbara Sr., Barbara Eileen, and Jim, and James uh, Jr. before he was a psychopath. I don't know. And Uh Barbara... We <laughs> then we have, I suppose, Barbara being welcomed into the fam- the Bat family, which is a little confusing because Dick is Nightwing. Uh huh. Agreed. So I'm not sure about that. No. Uh, then we have. <laughs> I don't know, man. Then we have Barbara, Alicia, and Frankie. You know, it's funny you say that because when I first looked at it, that's what I thought it was. And then I was like, is that supposed to be the girls from the Oracle Code? Oh, no. But I but I think it's Alicia and Frankie. I don't remember what their ethnicity was, to be honest. Yeah. In the Oracle Code? Yeah, one of them, I would say, matched this. Oh, okay. But since she's older, I assume that it's that. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with you. Then we have a happy panel of Jim and Babs fighting, probably after the James Gordon situation. Yeah, that's not what I would have picked to represent their relationship, but okay. Indeed, indeed. We have one that I'm not sure what's happening, to be honest. It is Barbara's back. I think that Bruce's arm is around her, but then we have a kid in front of her. Is it Damien? Is Damien being welcomed into the family? I took it that way. Okay, okay. And then we have, I think, Burnside in flames? I guess, yeah. (laughs) These things should be clearer for... I mean, if Barbara Gordon historians are struggling with it, then that's a problem. Of course, we have our favorite one right there on the next page with good old Joker. Uh Now we have her in the hospital. And, oh, oh my goodness, look at that oracle right there. At least they were accurate with nobody visiting her in the hospital. Thank you. They should put a little playing card down there, too, because of what Batman did. (laughs) And then, (laughs) good thing Donovan's not here. And then we have Oracle, Oracle, which still I have questions about. Do you think that these are good scenes to represent her, I guess, her her fear, her love, um, her courage, all of that stuff? Uh, Well, I mean, it's not – it seems like – Okay, no, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like, why? You're going to take a whole panel to show us the introduction of Damien? Like, that was such a big thing for Babs. And you're going to show her fighting with her father instead of one of the many loving scenes with her father. And I I don't know. I just feel like there are so many other things that one could have chosen in this 
situation. So no, but if you're if you're saying that her whole history is what we've seen in the last few years, then what are you going to pick? I think that's problematic. And and I don't, you know, rebirth was supposed to bring everything else back into play. And so I feel like why shouldn't she still have some of her Bronze Age history? I don't know what difference it would make. I mean, it would make a great difference. I don't know how it would affect anything negatively to have her Bronze Age history in there. Because I would think having something in the background of her, if you wanted to, losing her congressional seat, um, if you needed a negative image. But there's so much, like a wealth of her history that they could have put in those back panels that I'm I'm scratching my head as to why they picked what they picked. Well, they can't do the congressional history because she's still... 25 or whatever, right? 23. But what this made me sad, and it made me sad because this is a character with a 50-year history, right? And what's in these yeah. panels does not connote great, <laughs> greatness to me. And it's basically kind of reiterating to me that her recent stories just haven't been that compelling. Yeah, And it's so sad because there's you know, this was someone that probably in many ways was was had more name recognition than Wonder Woman in the 60s and early 70s. And unlike Wonder Woman was in a movie in what, the 90s? You know, your, <gasps> your favorite movie. My mo- favorite. Your favorite movie that yes. nobody likes except you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, this is a character that and was in the Birds of Prey TV show, right? This is a character that was poised to be great in so many ways, and people just have failed her so frequently. And this montage just really made me feel it because there are so many Barbara Gordon stories that I'm like laughing out loud or tearing up, and these these aren't them. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if you look at it, I guess it's encapsulated her two-year history with the exception of the killing joke that's been put there. Because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. see too much of it. Yeah. Okay. Also, her boobs look weird. Oh, in that particular scene, you're always the one no. to figure those out. The whole, the whole thing. The whole it's, thing. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a U-shaped oh. uniboob, and oh, I, I can, oh my gosh, I can accept a uniboob be, on behalf <laughs> of okay, this person is wearing a sports bra, but yes, that's, that's not quite how sports bras. Um, work oh my gosh what? A u-shaped are you sure it's an upside down u-shape or an, uh, <laughs> a right side up u-shape I don't know. you well, know you were the one to p- pull this out on a previous issue too i hope you know i just i mean i appreciate that they don't look like like separate boobs and socks that's also a problem but but this is um i thought this was uh distracting oh well i guess you can talk to uh Tormi? I don't... And tell him or her or them to get their anatomy correct? I did see the name, but I didn't recognize it. Do you know um, them I from do not anything know. else? No? I don't know. I'd have to do some Google searching. I will say in response to what you had said, because I had a conversation with Ian Miller, Ian Prime, because he's the one who reviews the back mm-hmm. roll on... Uh, Batman, the Batman universe. And so we have talked about this before. And what's really disappointing for me is that she is one of the few headlining females in the DC comic books right now. Mm -hmm. And so 
you have a lot just like Birds of Prey film or whatever else you have a lot writing on you. And so to not get it right and to have, I think, poor output is a problem. Because I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is worse or is it worse if the book got canceled and that and she doesn't have any screen time? I'm not really sure, which I've had that question. I've prompted you with that question before. I prompted it with Donovan as well. Is it worse to see your character that you love treated poorly or just never see them at all? Um, I still, I'm not sure about that answer. But let's talk about something that I really wish I didn't have to see at all, and that's the Jason and Babs situation here. (laughs) I don't even know, honestly, where to begin, but we find out suddenly that he is in love. Um, Yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, then as it goes on, because she's talking to him and kind of talking herself up and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. she... It almost seems to me like in that monologue or talking to him, she develops feelings for him. Like all of a sudden she realizes she likes him as well. What did you think about this whole interaction between the two of them and that they might get together depending on if he is a uh, murderer or not at the end? (laughs) I did not feel her feelings for him. I would say I felt their feelings for each other more in that one panel that I mentioned where they're back to back, they're back to back and they're facing away from each other. Then it's closer up and they're back to back and they're facing away from each other. Then they're back to back and they're each looking over their shoulders at each other with like a little bit of hesitation, but interest. And I felt like the art in that panel did more work for me to believe that they liked each other than, than a lot of the dialogue did. And I want to say, let me just say about the artist, other than the boobs, I think the art is very good. But I, I just wanted to point that out. So, uh, <laughs> okay. no, no. So I'm not. Yeah, it's almost like she's talking herself into it or something. Yeah. Yes. Agreed. I mean, she is shocked in the beginning. Oh, he's in love with me. I mean, I do think that she, given the art, she was the one that forced a kiss up, oh, without his consent. Forced a kiss upon him in the end of what would that be? Forty two, I guess, because his eyes were open. But then all of a sudden she's shocked that he has these strong feelings and then she's very confused and is like, well maybe maybe I like him too. What is this feeling? Which seems like a bad bad and I've read romance novels. It was a poorly written romance novel, I'll tell you that right now. And I just didn't I feel like it's being forced upon me and I I, I just don't like it this is not the jason bar that i have known and loved and we have this whole thing where he doesn't like batgirl but now they're okay so maybe it'll be okay but it's just like we're forcing her into this relationship that she is it's almost like stockholm syndrome she doesn't know that she she probably doesn't want to be in there but she's being convinced that she wants to be in that particular relationship well that's what i how I read it. Yes. And I, and I have more sympathy for it because it's Jason Bard. And even though I don't particularly like this Jason Bard, like deep inside me is liking Jason Bard because of his longer history. But the way he has been here, it's kind of like all these other relationships that she's been kind of cycling through. Right. I mean, Kai and like, I don't even remember. (gasps) I know. Right. That was a pull. I can't even remember the other one's names. Um, the one that she dated, uh, Ethan Cobblepot. For oh a bit. yeah. Ethan. Right. And in the last issue, she's sort of torn and she's saying or thinking whatever, like, you know, Jason or Dick, obviously the answer is Dick. We know this, but yes, thank you. But 
he Dick isn't mentioned in this issue, right? Or is he? I don't think so. Not at all, which is an issue, I think. But I saw a quote that was uh, interesting from her. She said, let's see here. He says, we kissed recently. I'm afraid she's pulling back. And she says she's probably scared. You're obviously a good guy. She might not have much experience with healthy relationships. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm. I mean, true for Ethan and Kai. Kai, I hate him, remember. But with Dick, you don't think that's a healthy relationship? I don't know, because I might be merging in together older versions of him with... Ah, with this, yeah. You know? But do you think being with Jason would be a healthy relationship? Give me a break. No. No, it's it's too forced. Because the way that that he was written previous to this, they set him up to be her enemy, basically. Yep. And I understand that can be a romance trope and whatever, but... You know, in real life, your enemy doesn't generally become the person that you suddenly think is good for you. Especially since he was against Jim Gordon. Exactly. Yeah. Batman and and Robin Eternal. So that would be like she would definitely not. She would hate him. So it's just this transition that I've started to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's your rating here? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we'll end it there. And. You know, I can only guess that Jason's been infected by something. Who knows? My rating out of 10, I guess we'll do dragon scales, 10 dragon scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will give it a 4 out of 10 dragon scales. Not only an F, but a low F. Um, I think it's lower than the previous issue. Wow. Uh, I just couldn't. I, yeah, I don't see much positive here. No, I don't either. I guess I... <laughs> <laughs> we'll give it a five because other than oh. the you boob, I oh I think gosh. I think that the art is doing a lot here that is helpful. Okay. But no, I mean the last one and this one in particular, this this was a tough sit, man. This was tough. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I feel like the last time I rated something this low was in the Gail Simone run. <gasps> yes, yeah, Gail Simone is one of my. <laughs> Gail Simone is one of my favorite writers, um, but I think she had a tough row to hoe with that Batgirl run. I mean, she was basically told, we're going to launch Barbara as Batgirl, and if you won't write it, we'll find someone else, and here here are the strictures that you have to deal with. And so I think she did. (sighs) I think she's a good writer who did the best she could with being told, you know, she's just become Batgirl. She just had surgery. You can't have any of her old friends. <laughs> she has to be alone. You know, that is a lot to to be dictated all that stuff to. Um, yeah. But no, I didn't enjoy a lot of that run also. Remember Fergie? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's okay. all. That's all I had to say, really. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, here's hoping. Uh, frankly, I just want this arc to because the last arc was so long. Yeah. I hope that this is not a six issue arc. It needs to be done, and then let's move Barbara on to better, better storylines. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, now over to probably sunnier lands. Uh, Chris for his cornucopia of curiosities. 
Uh, that's like when C2 e is early on the calendar, but still having some money to spend there, but that's not me this year. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, bad fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosity segment. Thank you very much for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you. Today, I'm reviewing Batman Adventures number 28, and in the Nightwatch segment, I look at Nightwing number 69 and a bonus special surprise book. Batman Adventures number 28 was cover dated January 1995 and cover priced at $1.50. As per usual, we have our creative team of Kelly Puckett as the writer, Mike Parabek was the penciler, Rick Burchett was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in the Batman Adventures trade paperback volume 3 and does appear to be on DC's Comics app for $1.99. And our story today is entitled 12 Days of Madness. Act 1. What child is this? Christmas time in Gotham City finds Harley Quinn boxing candy canes. The phone rings and she gets a call from the Joker, who still manages to use a telephone despite being in a straitjacket in Arkham, where a Christmas carol practice is in session. The Joker complains he's bored, so Harley suggests she'll have herself committed to join him, but the Joker says he has a better idea. Later, Batman disarms a shooter at a gun control rally. We see the shooters revealed to be Bud Jones, a city councilman whose name is on posters and banners for gun control. Has he gone insane? Just as Jones is being admitted into Arkham, Dr. Heinrich Heimlich from the Dusseldorf Institute appears to be in Arkham for a visit, complete with an Einstein appearance and a German accent. She, or he, quickly assesses Jones and says he can cure him and would like to use the Joker as a test subject. Act 2. God rest ye psycho councilman. At his office, Commissioner Gordon tells Batman that seven other councilmen besides Jones have been picked up for psychotic behavior in the last 24 hours. Gordon predicts the next victim as the order of victims has been by descending weight. Say what? Meanwhile, back at Arkham, Joker is now directing the Christmas pageant under the eye of Dr. Heimlich, who coaxes the rest of the Arkham staff behind a window to applaud for the Joker. Batman stakes out the next councilman, who's believed to have been the next breakdown victim, and as he starts to foam at the mouth and go mad, Batman breaks into his study to subdue him. Batman then goes to Arkham to find the Joker unrestrained among the other doctors. Batman states that all the councilmen that went crazy within the past 24 hours had an appointment previously with Dr. Heimlich. Dr. Heimlich tells Batman that his thoughts of the Joker are incorrect, and what's more, the Joker is actually handsome, and goes as far as to kiss the Joker. And upon breaking the kiss, Heimlich's false mustache comes off and the gasp of the unlooking doctors and the ruse of Harley as Heimlich is now spoiled. Act 3. Asylum Fidelis. With the jig now up, Batman chases Joker and Harley throughout Arkham to the tune of 12 Days of Christmas picking up at day number 8. And the action and the success of panels as Batman disarms the patients who try to intervene Joker throws a vial at Batman, stating that the fumes will make him psychotic. But Batman asks, do you really want a psychotic Batman after you? Joker quickly yells at Harley to catch the vial. Did she catch it in time? Alas, no. For as we turn to the last page, we see a straight-jacketed Harley dreaming of Joker proposing to her by a fireplace and a Christmas tree. The end. My notes, I can't recall the last time I talked about a cover, so let me mention it. Harley is thinking, and inside her thought bubble, we see Joker sitting next to Harley by a tree stump as both of them roast marshmallows with a straight-jacketed Batman suspended upside down over a fire. Ah, the days when the Harley-Joker relationship wasn't toxic. Indeed, Joker praises Harley in a panel here. 
and I wonder if this was the first depiction of a Joker-Harley Quinn kiss. Further, I wonder how long of a window this period lasted, as I dare say we probably have had a longer period in comics where the two of them were on the outs more than they've been a couple. Nice to see uh, more happier times, short as it was. For the story itself, I think I had the same problem with this as I did with a recent Two-Face story, where it was more so trying to get people out of incarceration than a straight-up direct Batman versus the villain in a Gotham setting. And I crave a bit more interaction with Batman and our villains. For the threat, the only thing stolen was the councilman's sanity, and granted that was quite severe. The story was fast-paced and did offer a lot of humor, with Harley playing her role of Dr. Heimlich to the hilt. The artwork was excellent, and extra credit for the chase and fight sequences to the 12 Days of Christmas. With that, I will give Batman Adventures number 28, 8 and a half out of 10 bats. Now, for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, it's Nightwatch. That's where I look at the current issue of Nightwing from a shipper's perspective. At the time of this recording, Nightwing number 69 is the current issue with writer Dan Jurgens and art done by Ronan Cliquet. Spoilers ahead. Dick, now realizing that he's been brainwashed by Dr. Haas, wears a different costume and tracks her and talent operatives to a castle in Switzerland. There's fighting. And as Dick resists the brainwashing, a self-destruct sequence takes out the castle. In the water below, Dick tries to save Dr. Haas, but she slips from his grasp. By now, Dick wants to just go back home and see B. B is seen in a flashback sequence where she and Dick poke around the site of Dr. Haas's old office, and there's the realization of his mental conditioning. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Joker is watching TV with a news story about the Ersatz Nightwings, and Joker takes out a crowbar and smashes the TV. To be continued. We do get a verbal of Dick's feelings for B, and she does appear, but there's really nothing more to it than that. With the events as they're depicted, I'm compelled to give Nightwing number 69 a cool, repeat, cool shipper alert. Oh, but wait, there's more. This past month, DC put out DC's Crimes of Passion, an 80-page anthology of 10 romance stories for $9.99. Nightwing appears to be on the cover with Catwoman and him proclaiming to Batman that they're in love, obviously in jest. However, one of the stories inside is a Nightwing Batgirl story entitled Night Falls in Bloodhaving. Night with a parenthetical K. Writer J. Barrichell and art done by Andy Tong. The story. Nightwing's mission is to find a missing boy named Richie. Nightwing tracks down Richie's older cousin Bill Bill and is told Richie is in a gang called the Madness, led by someone named Sane. And then they hang out at an old amusement park. Nightwing makes his way to the location and starts to call Barbara as a backup. But he's suddenly struck on the head from behind and before losing consciousness... He sees that his attacker is none other than Richie himself. Meanwhile, in Burnside, Barbara has her father over for dinner, and they have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation about relationships, as Barbara confesses that she and Dick had an argument earlier. Just then, Barbara sees that she has missed Dick's call. Back in Bloodhaven, Nightwing has regained consciousness and finds himself tied up surrounded by the gang. Sane is about to cut off Nightwing's head with a sword, when suddenly a batarang hits him in the face, and Batgirl rescues Nightwing. Smash cut to Richie reunited with his mom, Nightwing now saying that he needs Barbara, and Barbara replying that she knows, and that she needs him too. The end. Whew, obviously, this story is not reflective of the current events in the comics. Batgirl is in her old Burnside costume, and I don't know if this story was in the DC inventory just 
waiting to be used at some point, but it was very, very refreshing to see these characters that I ship in a new story despite it not being current. Well, quite the paradox here. Still, it was a breath of fresh air for me and possibly for Babs and Dick Shippers as well, and very, very welcome. With what I saw, I will give this story a very warm, repeat, very warm shipper alert. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. Listeners, don't forget you can hear Stella on the Required Reading Podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to my friends at the Sutherlands. Be sure to check out all of their podcasts on the Rad Adventures Network. You can also find me talking about independent comics on the Professor Frenzy Show podcast. Please check it out if you're not doing so already. Please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the Batgirl podcast on the TBU website, and please consider giving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has news, articles, editorials, and a fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you for your support. Shout out to Carolyn Coca for mentioning the Batgirl Oracle podcast on a recent episode of the Talking Comics podcast. Appreciate it very much. What circumstances lead Batman and Talia to Nepal? Who is the mysterious Narion? What is the Tesla device and what can it do? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast where the answers to these hectic, hard-boiled, haphazard, harrowing hexes will be handled harmoniously next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. (gasps) Thanks, Chris. And I think he mentioned you in the previous one. Did you notice? In the... Your last episode? (laughs) Yes. He mentioned you in my last episode and his his alliteration at the end. Oh, that's funny because I thought... It was like faster than Carolyn can kick a killer mom. I don't remember what it was. Oh, totally, totally. But the reason I'm saying that is because I thought that was two months ago. That's how long ago it feels. Oh, it it might be. It has felt like a time. You might be right. Maybe I've lost all time together. No, no. That was very sweet of him. I'm glad I got to talk to him on the anniversary show. Oh, what a fun time. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, now our final thing are our literature recommendations, which I don't know if – well, you probably actually have been doing a lot of reading. But are there any books you would like to recommend to the audience? <laughs> I, yeah, under normal circumstances, I do read a lot of fiction and I very much enjoy reading a lot of fiction, but this is not one of those times when I'm in like lockdown, (laughs) when I'm in lockdown book writing mode, I totally stop reading fiction and I'm only reading like academic stuff and journalistic stuff that is pertaining to the thing I'm writing about. So in a week, like literally week, because this thing is due in six days, um, I will get back to it. So I look forward to hearing your recommendations because I am keeping a list of things to read starting next week. Oh, okay. Well, I will say that this is the year that I'm finishing up the Rory Gilmore's book list. I'm also in a competition at school and whoever reads the most pages gets a, an Amazon gift card. Oh. But it's, I'm the one who started it. So if someone beats me, I have to shell out the money for the Amazon gift card. So I'm trying to destroy the people. So I've been really getting, uh, getting through here. I think, I don't think I've recommended this yet. Major, have I? Major Impossible? No, I haven't. Okay. Major Impossible, which is Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales Number 9 by Nathan Hale. And it is a graphic novel, and it follows Major John Powell and, of course, the nine people, one of which was me, John Colton Sumner, down the uh, Colorado through the Grand Canyon. So I recommend that as a nice little – I mean, it's it's meant to be for for kids, for young people, but it was was great – 
Okay, so there's that. Do, 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 do. I, the Group by Mary McCarthy, which mm-hmm. was shocking, but then I, I got used to it after a while. It follows a the lives of eight Vassar graduates known simply to their classmates as The Group. An eclectic mix of personalities and upbringings, they meet a week after graduation to watch K-Strong get married. After the ceremony, the women begin their adult lives, traveling to Europe, tackling the worlds of nursing and publishing, and finding love and heartbreak in the streets of New York City. I read My Name is Asher Lev. Actually, I was forced to read this because I lost a bet involving the Oscars. I did not uh, correctly pick more than this other person. This is by Chaim Potok. Asher Lev is a Ladover Hasid who keeps kosher, prays three times a day, and believes in the Rabona Shel Olam, the master of the universe. Asher Lev is an artist who is compulsively driven to render the world he sees and feels even when it leads him to blasphemy. In this stirring and often visionary novel, Chaim Potok traces Asher's passage between these two identities, the one consecrated to God, the other subject only to the imagination. And then I read Call Me By Your Name. Oh, interesting. By Andre Asiman or Achiman. The story of a sudden and powerful romance that blossoms between an adolescent boy and a summer guest at his parents' cliffside mansion on the Italian Riviera. Unprepared for the consequences of their attraction, at first each feigns indifference, but during the restless summer weeks that follow, unrelenting buried currents of obsession and fear, fascination and desire intensify their passion as they test the charged ground between them. What grows from the depths of their spirits is a romance of scarcely six weeks duration and an experience that marks them for a lifetime. Do, 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 do. And then my final two, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. 24 years. Oh, no, that doesn't help me. Da, 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 da. Sorry, <laughs> no, everybody. No, it's everybody loved that book. And I read it near when it came out because it had such great reviews. And, and I did not love it. Did you like it? I actually did really like it. So it follows uh, a minister, John Ames, and he got married late in life, and he's writing letters to his son because John is about to die, so he feels like he wants to talk to his son. I did actually like I don't like epistolary novels, so when the person who gave it to me said uh, that, I thought, oh, no, what is this going to be like? But I actually ended up uh, enjoying it a great deal. What was it about it that you did not care for? I don't remember. I just remember being, okay. being surprised that uh, that I I didn't like it as much as so many other people seem to. I actually am very cautious when that happens because I almost feel like I'm going to reject it when I hear mm-hmm. that something is so popular. So when I got it, I thought I don't. I'm not sure I'm going to like it, but I ended up liking it a lot. And it's interesting because it was so well-received. It got the Pulitzer. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, you know, for secular audiences or, you know, a world that isn't as much driven by faith, why people enjoyed it so much. Because a lot of it is there's like a lot of biblical truths in there because he is a minister. So he's talking through that lens. So I wondered uh, what people liked about it, but I don't know. And then the final thing I just finished was Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, or Maria Rilke, but it's a man. In 1903, a student at a military academy sent some of his verses to a well-known Austrian poet requesting an assessment of their value. The older artist, Rilke, replied to the novice in a series of letters, an amazing archive of remarkable insights into the ideas behind Rilke's greatest poetry. And just a lot of insights, I felt like, into the human spirit as well as art. 
So those are the things. I am currently reading something else, How to Build a Girl. And I just got out huge tomes from the library because I'm afraid that the library will shut down and I'll have nothing. So I got out War and Peace. Demons by Dostoevsky, oh, Ulysses by James <laughs> Joyce, and The Shining by Stephen King. So I feel like I've got 5,000 pages to read. Oh, so funny. in case Corvid destroys the library, I at least have some stuff to read. All right. I, I have read those four things. And Ulysses, oh. I decided to tackle when I was what seemed like 120 months pregnant. I guess I was about eight and a half oh. months pregnant. <laughs> And, and I was like, it, I mean, it was at a point like, no, it was honestly like the last week. And I, it was, it was, I was like a beached whale and I'm like, that's it. I'm reading Ulysses. And, uh, oh it is, um, as challenging and rewarding as, uh, everyone says. Oh, okay. Cause Tom hates it with a passion. He doesn't like it. So I, I've not been, um, thinking that it's going to be too great to read so notice, that notice I, did, I did not say i enjoyed it i said it was challenging <laughs> and rewarding you're right you were a politician and gave a politician's answer i did i enjoyed uh your and tom talking about the aeneid um i have fond, mm. fond memories of reading excerpts of the aeneid in latin when i was in high school i'm so glad to hear it it's the only episode that i felt 100 percent confident in my authority you sounded very happy and confident, yeah. I was so happy to talk about it. I could have talked for hours about that, but I needed to say goodbye to Tom had a, what are those called? A bedtime that I need to mm-hmm. get him off to. So uh, I do also want to say this is not the time for it uh, to talk about it widely, but I did recently watch a French film called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh. And I cannot recommend that enough it actually deeply affected me for several days afterwards uh it is perhaps one of the most beautiful films i've ever seen uh so i highly recommend it there is you know there is a lesbian storyline there in case that's something you don't want to see um but it's more it's about the female gaze it's about equality so uh i do really i'm trying to actually get harold and donovan to like get me on and let's talk about the female gaze versus the male gaze in cinema and then talk about this i don't know if it'll happen but uh, yeah i hope to talk about it somewhere because it's just so amazing so all right cool yeah oh and then the lead actress i think you'd appreciate her because she's she's been involved in the me too movement Mm -hmm. she got herself in trouble because she got up and left during an award ceremony because roman polanski won best director yeah i read that yeah. All right. No, so I, I, I did see um, the uh, the NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast. They All of them gave a really, really strong review of it. So it's definitely on my radar. I'd like to see it. And then and then uh, call me, Don and Harry. I'll be on that podcast, too. <gasps> oh, his name's Harold, though, so you need to get his name right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke for you, and then I'll wrap up. Are you ready? Ready. What's completely original by said... <laughs> Messed it up. Sorry. Okay. What's completely original but said by two different people? I don't know. What? My idea that Greg just repeated louder. (laughs) (laughs) There's other other ones. My coworker asked me why I seem so tense. I asked him why he was massaging my shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) I could see. I, I'm going to send you one. One of my colleagues sent me. Oh, uh, both and another person. 
so true. Both so true. It's true. Yep. Okay. Well, we've reached the end. Thank you for your time. I knew it was going to go close to three. <laughs> Where can people find and support you besides, of course, following you on the Twitter? Yes. If you want to get zero tweets from me, follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Carolyn Coca. Uh, if, if you want to actually uh, correspond with me in some way, um, please use email. So it's my last name and first initial, Coca, C, at oldwestbury.edu. And look for my new book in July. I kind of keep changing the title, but it'll probably be called something like Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel in the military, colon, feminism, violence and war in comics and film. Something like that. And then look for her here in <laughs> August yes. or July uh, talking about that particular book with a title that she has um, solidified. Yeah, I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Uh, you have the freedom to do whatever title you want to. Well, I've got freedom for about five more days. and <laughs> I really have to have Oh, an dear. Yeah. Yeah. Almost there. Thank you so much for being on and talking about all sorts of things and letting me make fun of you and also <laughs> giving us your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to do it anytime and talk to you and talk about Babs. Oh, Babs. Yep. And her bad hair. Uh, you can send any questions or comments to me at backrolloracle.gmail.com or Carolyn if you have some follow-up questions. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher, like the show on Facebook, or follow it on Twitter at Oracle. And I'll probably respond to you, actually. Like, uh, follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well and support it by subscribing to Patreon. Thanks again to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And next time... It's Donovan <gasps> if he finishes The Last of Us, but I don't know. It was it's been eleven days hmm. as of the weekend. I went on and played some Resident Evil. He was I, I haven't seen him on there, so I don't know. But he's has some time. I gave him the deadline of April fifth to get his stuff together. So we'll see. So maybe Donovan, maybe not Donovan. But until then, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon. Masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Okay, are you good to speed through and finish? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> okay. Unless unless you need a break. You okay? No, I'm good. Okay. I'm just stealing myself for what's about to happen. Uh, Donovan dude. says hello, by the way. Oh, hi, Don. <laughs> he, um, I'd, I texted him the out-of-context quote that you gave me. Oh, I already forgot what it was. Is, is he okay with all that tornado stuff? He survived. I And he even voted in the midst of the tornado. Good. So. The quote was, and then there's a pile of racism in the oh. background. <laughs> so, so anyway, and then I told him what issue it was because he wondered what we were talking about. Yeah, he's got okay. to see that, see that cover. <laughs> appreciate it. All right, you ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you ready for this, ma'am? Okay. I I enjoyed it as much as you enjoyed number forty three. Interesting. Mm. Okay, so not at all. No. Okay, we are back. <laughs> <laughs> we're back.